perspective thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Al Care Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast. The crosswords are science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bill Van Vagel from up in Canada. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. We, I, it's funny. On my phone, it said, cold weather warning. And so my, my, my wife had checked, and we're supposed to get 15 centimeters of snow tonight, which is about five inches, and then five more inches tomorrow. So, and this is our first day back that uh, the province has said, go back to school. So the buses may be canceled on the first day back. (laughs) um, But in terms of the actual episode today, I am jacked. I sat up last night and I ranked my top 25 movies of 2021 in horror uh, while watching NFL football. So by the time this comes out, all those teams will leave their one lost or I, I will know who Green Bay plays. But I am very excited. We have a good slew of people coming on with us today, all veterans of our episodes. So let's hear what everybody else has to say. Yeah, this is our this is going to be our best of 2021 for horror. Like last year, we did two lists. We did one for horror, and then we did one for sort of everything else. Uh, we're going to be doing the same thing this year. Last year, we had... Greg Bench on the infamous Greg Bench. Now, you know, I think I hear he has his own word in the dictionary and uh, Greg came on, joined us for horror, which is still one of our top episodes in in terms of listenership was that best of uh, 2020 horror. So it was a lot of fun. So obviously it was a great idea to bring Greg back. So the first of our three guests tonight, Greg Bench, uh, the gray man, Greg Bench. Greg, welcome <laughs> back. How are you? How are you tonight? I, I'm, do, I'm doing well. It's uh, I, I was so honored to, to be asked to come back. And uh, I definitely feel like I'm bringing something to the game tonight. Although I must say my, my, my list, as I look at it, might be a little on the stale side. But everything for me was on a level of fun. And I'm kind of, I'm not jealous of Bill, but that snowstorm was predicted Oh, last week for where I'm at and every day that went by just kept going farther to the east. So I'm not getting any snow. I just got the cold. So that's okay. You know what? I was going to say, Greg, be happy. That means you didn't have to shovel. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm jealous that it passed you by. Yeah, we have some here right now, and it's it's winter storm Izzy. So my daughter's excited because now there's a storm finally named after her. Uh-huh. And, and Nathan, I, I I did want to let the audience know that for those of you that listen to me on Land of the Creeps, this is my alternate top 10. So that anybody uh, going to be listening to that episode, I'm not just blowing it off and saying it again. Yeah, so this, this is, is going to be... 
this is like the wish version of that list. The wish, <laughs> the wish list, if you will. <laughs> so I wouldn't say it's worse. I wouldn't say it's better. I just say it's alternate. Yeah. So that, that's a it, it's kind of, oh, Go ahead. It's a safe way to play it, Bill. Very good. Yep. Alternate. Yep. Safe. So, and, but I will tell you this, I put as much thought into this list as I did the other one. So I spent as much brain power, my gray matter is used up just as much. So you can see that it could be good. That could be bad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see. Awesome. <laughs> anyway. So uh, in addition to Greg, we also last year, we did the uh, non-horror list. Victor Rodriguez joined us and he, or he came in and he also, Gave us his horror list at the beginning of that episode. Victor is back again uh, for the horror episode. So, Victor, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, doing good. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Doing awesome. That's the enthusiasm we need. I am so thrilled that uh, horror movies did not take a nap this year. I I thought that last year was a little lackluster. Um, It it was much improved. Uh, The 2021 films I thought were much improved as as a whole. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. See what everybody liked. Yeah, we're so excited that you're here. It's going to be awesome. And then finally... Uh, we have someone who who's new to the podcast, uh, did their first episode with us this year. And the uh, after the first episode was over, we realized we have to get this person on for our best of list because she's clearly seen more horror movies, I think, than I did this year. Uh, and, and when I ever needed a recommendation, she would always pop up and say, oh, you should watch this. And it, almost without fail, it was always uh, it was always worthwhile. Yeah, it, gonna... it's te- I was going to say, it's telling when he goes to the guest instead of his co-host what yeah. to watch next. <laughs> <laughs> That's because usually I'm like, hey, I'm watching you know, uh, Avalanche Sharks on Tubi. Nathan, <laughs> you, should, you should watch it. Yeah, sure, I should. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just kidding, Bill. Yeah. But uh, so... And I think she's one of the few that the that the the directors or the producers of one of the movies actually quoted her and you know uh, on on uh, Twitter or something like that actually used her her quote. So I don't think Bill and I have had that prestigious no. honor yet in terms of you know uh, for Ouija's or any of the full moon movies. Sadly, no one's used our pull quotes. But this is Amanda Lee. Amanda has been on uh, the podcast uh, previously, and she's back. And how are you doing tonight, Amanda? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be back. Yeah, we're we're uh, excited to have you. And what we're going to do tonight, because we have a sort of unprecedented, well, not unprecedented for Phantom Galaxy in terms of regular episodes, but I don't think I've ever had five people on before doing a top ten list. So uh, I was going to say for that for the X Files, is that a five headed monster as well? Uh, it <laughs> may be now. I believe it is. Yes, because we recently had. Karen join us, so it is indeed now a five five person deal. So it, I, and I feel like that train just keeps getting longer and longer. But hey, season four is coming up. Looking forward to it. But tonight, what we're going to do is round robin. We'll we'll uh, start with Greg, and we'll end with me. We have a, a procession from there, and everybody will share their top ten in order. We will save honorable mentions to the end. Um, I know you know some we've had. Uh, some of the lists this year, people said, oh, I'm only going to do 10 and no honorable mentions. This is Phantom Galaxy. The only rule I have is don't pee on the floor. So really, outside no of guarantee, that, no guarantee. <laughs> you see, even then I look strict. So uh, 
what what we'll do is just go round robin that way we'll share and we're going to try to keep it a pretty good clip we're not going to overly summarize the movies if there's uh a few lines if something needs a little bit extra explanation i'm sure uh, it will be provided and uh otherwise that's uh that's what we're going to do and we will go ahead and get started with greg bench greg what was your number 10 horror movie of 2021 number 10 number 10 number 10 it is a story about a single mother and her two kids that arrive in a small town and they begin to discover their connection to the original ghostbusters and the (laughs) secret legacy their grandfather left behind of course it's ghostbusters afterlife this movie i I had high hopes and it exceeded all those hopes. Uh, growing up, loving Ghostbusters, it, it, I mean, this this filled all those remember berries. I remembered everything of why I cherished the Ghostbusters, and it had to get on the list. So that's why it's at number ten. Uh, so that's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, very cool, very cool. I I had a good time with this movie, and one of the things that I've heard people say about it is, yeah, it's a little, uh, you know, they kind of rehash some things from the earlier movies, but they also bring us a couple new characters that I had fun with. And it's hard to argue that I think they actually bring those, what's the term we're throwing around now, legacy characters. They bring those older characters back in a way that's kind of um, meaningful. And I liked that. I, it's a fun movie. Yeah. That's the one movie I still haven't seen it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. So Greg, you gave me a reason to watch it tomorrow. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Okay, uh, so that's number 10 for Greg. Victor, you're number 10. Uh, Number 10, I would say Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Nice. By Jacob Gentry. Uh, You guys know, um, but in case there's anybody new listening, I wrote a book of audio horror, and this movie would have been right at home in that book it's a dude named james that is an archivist (laughs) apparently that's a job that existed in the 90s Um, (laughs) it's a period piece and uh he finds some illegal signal intrusion on some uh, videotapes that he's archiving and uh, this kicks off a really weird investigation uh, to what the origin of the signals were. Uh, There's some really creepy stuff in the movie. A lot of, um, uh, shall we say, uh, well, um, weird images, uh, weird audio. And um, I think that uh, the movie was a bit long, but other than that, I really liked it. If, uh, if you're a gearhead and you're really into 90s like video and audio gear, there's lots of sexy close-ups in this movie. Um, a lot of stuff I haven't seen since then. Uh, so it was it was neat. It had a lot of good points, and that's why it made my list. I'd give it a 6.5 out of 10. Excellent. Now, I thought it was a good movie. My only gripe, and it's not a personal thing, uh, Victor, is I thought this might have... Uh, been included in the other because I, I thought of it more as a sci-fi adventure action mystery than a horror. Oh, okay. I, I'm not, I'm not picking any, I, I just, I, I struck it more along an X-Files episode 
then <laughs> I did a straight ahead horror. Yeah. It would have been a great X-Files episode, yeah. I would I would add. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got to throw in here that Victor and I, as we've been texting back and forth about not just the top 10 movies, but movies probably for the last, you know, five or six months since we've been doing the X-Files, it always sort of comes out as this would have been a great X-Files episode where all it needed <laughs> was Mulder and Scully. And I think that's been our sort of barometer is can it exist without Mulder and Scully or you know, it really needed them to be there. Um, this one, I, you know, I personally thought it was creepy that some of those imagery in there, some of those videos, just, it's definitely a little bit more of the subdued, just kind of freaky than maybe straight horror. But yes. if there's anyone listening to this, that's into like creepy pasta and the sort of internet sort of mysteries, uh, this is right in that wheelhouse, but it does it through the nineties where the internet plays less of a role in all of that. And I, liked that aspect of it yeah there's an awesome choice good, good choice yeah, it's a it's a really mm-hmm. good investigative kind of film because you gotta you gotta you gotta follow the lead and kind of see yeah. where it takes you and yeah. jacob gentry i think is one to kind of look out for because he's worked on some other movies and this one is a little bit of an elevation i thought from what he's done before yeah and and further to bill's point i would say like if you're into sort of paranoid thrillers i think this fits pretty well into that category like you know the warren Beatty movie the parallax view and and stuff like that where it's just like this this huge conspiracy and and you can kind of see where the hero's kind of hitting against the glass ceiling but he he can't quite break through and then he does and it's horrible and you know (laughs) it's that kind of stuff it's funny when i was writing off i was just gonna say when i was writing down the notes i was like my wife might like it it's got the guy from glee (laughs) <laughs> Again, i'm sure i'm sure she'll love it bill <laughs> yeah so uh yeah that's that's an awesome awesome choice victor uh and then amanda what is your number 10 horror movie okay so my number 10 um a while back you guys recorded an episode i believe it was on movies that were a hot mess and i think <laughs> yeah. that this movie would be right at home on that episode and the movie I'm referring to is, of course, James Wan's Malignant. And <laughs> this is a movie that when I saw it, I didn't know what to make of it. I was just baffled. I, I could not process what I was seeing. And it's one of those movies where it just starts out mediocre, no expectations. You're like, okay, all right. Okay, where is this going? And then the third act hits. It's like a runaway train. It, it just... It hits you on all sides, just out of nowhere. This movie, I don't even know where to begin with it. It was just absolutely bonkers. And I remember, Nathan, you had seen it first, and you asked me right after you saw it, have you seen it? What do you think of it? It's one of those movies that as soon as you watch it, you have to talk about it with somebody. You don't want to give it away, but you have to talk about what you just saw in that movie because it just makes no sense. It's just so mind-boggling. And I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I had to verify I hadn't had a concussion. You know, I was like, hey, watch this and make sure we saw the same last third of this film. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's definitely an out there. Movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one that you go, okay. But I will say it's got one of the best scenes in a jail cell I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is a great pick. I, I, I've uh, this is one that was definitely in consideration as I was making my list, and it 
goes crazy. And I feel like the trailer sets you up for a completely different kind of movie. And in my opinion, a much more sort of bland looking movie. And I sort of had almost written this off. And then I watched it. And I was like, whoa, okay. It's uh, <laughs> this is, feels exactly like something I would have rented in the nineties, maybe even direct a video expecting nothing from it and sort of getting a, a fun surprise. Yeah. Great pick, Amanda. Bill, what is your number 10? Okay. My number 10 is I'll always give my support if it's close to a Canadian film. So my number 10 is a Canadian film, but when I started watching it, I didn't know it was Canadian as most of them are. Cause I don't know what's going on in the industry. I just knew it was a zombie type film. And this is 2021's Brain Freeze. Now, Brain Freeze is a film, I'll just read the IMDb. A fertilizer used in a rich gated community becomes the source of a genetic mutation that transforms its residents into zombies. Can a teenager and his baby sister break free from the quarantine island before turning into grass? What I liked about it is it's, yes, it's a zombie movie and everybody's gosh darn sick of zombie movies, but this has got a, a funny little take to it. It's shot outside of Montreal. And if anybody knows uh, Canadian geography, Montreal has an island and the people that live on this island are the kind of uppity. They got a bit of money. They're forward thinking, blah, 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 blah. And everybody else lives back on the, in the province of Quebec. Well, something gets into the water and anybody who drinks this water, it infects them. But it almost becomes an allegory for the haves and the have-nots. And this one girl with her baby brother, or sorry, the, the one boy with her baby brother and a father who's a cop have to try to survive to stave off what's going on. And the cop has a daughter who at some point something happens to, and he brings her along for the ride. I thought it was just a ball of fun. It's a lower budgeted film, but anybody who hasn't seen it who likes the zombie genre and wants maybe, a, I wouldn't say completely fresh take, but something different than your slow walking zombies that are just out to kill as many people as possible. I thought this was a good one. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. This sounds interesting. And I don't, I don't think I, Bill, I you may not. have told me about this, but I don't even remember hearing this one mentioned. Um, this is a news on me. And I have to back up. Did you say the, before they turn into grass, no, not grass. No, uh, they oh. turn they turn into zombies because of something that's in the water that has to do with fertilizer. Oh. Fertilizer for the grass. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. But, but it all has to do with you know like corporate greed and what people will do for their product and not doing the best thing necessarily for the customer and it, it gets into like it it works on many levels and so you know it, it's got the actor Roy Dupuis who has been in, I mean, a lot of Canadian things, but I'm just looking him up right now. Roy Dupuis has been La Femme in Nikita, right? La Femme Nikita and, and uh, Screamers. If you remember that one. Yep. I do remember Screamers. Yeah. So like, it's basically him and then people that just work like within the Canadian indie film industry or TV industry. Cool. But uh, it's a, it's a good little film. If anybody hasn't seen it, check out Screamers. Or not, yes. Check out Screamers, but then also check out Brain Freeze. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Brain freeze is on the list. That's uh, that sounds great, Bill. And then that brings me to uh, my first movie on the list of my number ten. And uh, in keeping with bonkers and crazy, although in a, a very different tone, uh, my number ten is Lamb, uh, the Icelandic 
film that I guess uh, could almost be debatable. Some people may say horror, not horror. I kind of personally categorize it as a folk horror with a, a lot of dramatic elements. It's di- directed by Valdemar Johansson, and it's it, it, at the start, it seems like a very simple premise. Uh, Numi Rapaci is in the film, and uh, she plays part of a couple who uh, living out in a farmland uh, in Iceland and they previously they had a child who has passed and one night or one morning they go into their barn after something ha- a presence or a disturbance has occurred in their uh, in their barn with the sheep and they go in there and one of the sheep is giving birth to let me just say an anomaly mm. <laughs> and uh, to get into what that anomaly is the movie's pretty straightforward about it though it it sort of reveals it slowly over time and that element of the film creates an almost instantaneous kind of you know crazy image i think an image that is both expected but also just bizarre every time that it's shown and um, how that element interacts and affects this couple who has sort of uh they're they're just sort of living on a stalemate with life like they've kind of given up on each other they're investing their time into the land around them but they're getting no joy out of almost anything and they're clearly haunted by what's happened to their child. And then you introduce this new element. And there's a lot of metaphorical elements going on in this movie. But what's strange is that they also play these things literally, which uh, is a tightrope walk, I think, in any film. And there's there's more than a couple that did that this year. Uh, then eventually you have uh, Nomi Rapaci's uh, husband, his brother, shows up. And then you become a weird, uncomfortable triangle there. And that drama playing out against these beautiful vistas, uh, very lonely, sort of melancholy imagery, uh, would probably have made a, a, an interesting sort of tension-filled drama. But this this character that they've discovered in the in the in the barn uh, that that was birthed by one of the uh, one of the ewes there, one of the sheep, and what birthed it creates a sort of mystery that keeps swelling in the movie. And I personally, even the slowest and calmest parts of this movie, I always felt a sort of um, slowly gestating dread that akin is punctuated by moments of absurdity and moments of strangeness that to me, ultimately, I was satisfied with the culmination of what happens in this movie of, uh, of the various sort of the the finality of what occurs there, I thought was really well done. And the movie ultimately it stuck with me at the when it was first over, I was. I felt almost like I wanted it to be stranger, and yet it sort of just stuck in my mind. And it's sort of gotten to a point where, uh, you know, when I was sitting down to make the list, I thought, you know, I can't really not include this because it is, uh, it stayed with me far longer than other movies I saw this year. So that's number 10 for me, Lamb. I will say, if you're a hardcore horror fan, beware that this verges maybe a little bit more on dark fantasy and drama. But I, I think, I think for some, this will definitely hit that horror spot. I, I will let the other guests say their piece before I do. I have not seen it. Oh, yeah. Well, have you seen it, Greg or Amanda? Oh, I've seen it. I, I have, and uh, just uh, without spoiling it, I guess I'll be talking okay. about it soon. <laughs> Amanda, what did you think of it? Um, I liked it. I wasn't as big on it as Nathan is, but I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the um, sense of dread that was building throughout the entire movie. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really 
well acted. I thought the cinematography was beautiful. The landscape there was, uh, is it, is it Iceland? Iceland? Yes. Mm-hmm. Iceland it was really good. And I thought the actor and actresses, they did a good job. I just found it too absurd for me. I, I, and I wrote down in my notes, I remember I said, it sounds like the Geico uh, lizard is talking without actually saying anything. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that. Almost like theater of the absurd. Uh, but I, I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm not going to spoil anything. I didn't see the ending coming. So I, I like that element of surprise, uh, for anybody that hasn't seen it and wants to, I will say, watch yourself. That's all I'll say. Watch yourself. Is that a threat? <laughs> no, no, not a threat. It's, 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 it's not going to be your golden fairy tale. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yes. Yes. Um, fairy tales, fairy tales, a good word. So number nine, Greg, uh, what's your number nine? Um, number nine, I have uh, this. I couldn't but include this one. After unearthing a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy <laughs> the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. Of course, it has to be PG. Psycho Gorman. Uh this might might count for last year's movie list, but I did see it this year, and it did have a major release here in the in my area uh, in 2021. So that's why I included it. And I, I, this movie was just this was one when Nathan and I were on talking last year. I mean, a long time ago for last year's list, this movie came up in the conversation because we were talking about those absurd uh, absurd movies those bizarre movies the ones that are like you want to look away but yet you can't something like butt boy was last year that's where like psycho gorman is for me this year it's just that movie that is just like shut the brain off get the popcorn get the beverages lock and load because it's going to be a fun time and it's just so far out there and yet so much fun and it, this had has one of the characters that is so divisive. So many people cannot like this little girl, uh, Mimi, played by Nita Josie Hannah. But I also think that that was her character. I don't think it was actually her <laughs> as an individual. This was her character, and she crushed it. And it's just such a it's and you know there's a there's this line with Psycho Gorman where he he they're. Yeah, these aliens are are hunting him and then they blow up all his stuff and it's all these magazines with his hunky boys and he just stands there and goes not my hunky boys and it is just it's just such a it's clever in these little moments it's fun in those moments and that's why it made number nine on my list yeah it was good so. i i liked it um i liked it quite a bit it's definitely um more of a comedy i would say uh but there is a lot of gore in it yeah the title's <laughs> not the title yeah. is not selling it short nope. <laughs> um yeah and i really liked uh that young actor's performance that played mimi i thought i thought she was great so there is a funny they they, they do a very interesting job of keeping it very kind of like upbeat and awful at the same time in terms yeah. of like I mean, I actually did watch this with my kids, and they got a they got a kick out of it. There, there is the gore, but the gore is almost like that Sam Raimi level, and 
it, one Idiots. moment it feels like you're watching Power Rangers, <laughs> and the next part, a person's face is being melted off while they scream for three minutes. <laughs> so good pick, good pick, Greg. I, I had a lot of fun with that movie. Yeah, that's a it's a Stephen Kostansky film, and Stephen Kostansky did The Void, which I quite liked. Yeah, I liked I liked Adam Brooks in this. Adam Brooks is in all the uh, Vestron Six films, pretty much. I think that pays his mortgage. Uh, he uh, he's always funny. He's so uh, I have a couple issues with the film. One, see, I didn't grow up with that kind of sensibility. You know, like the the uh, what? Who is that? The one that Greg Morgan likes. The the guy that flies around. Ultraman. Ultraman. Yeah. I, I didn't grow up with that with that culture, so it really didn't have that connect with me. I wasn't a big Power Ranger guy or anything, so I I found it at times over the top, just silly. I didn't, and I found the girl quite annoying, to be honest. Just, uh, but I, I did. I also liked <laughs> Kenneth Welsh as the voice. I thought I he did a he, he did a good job. As I mean, he's a quality actor; he's been around forever. Uh, he did a good one. And uh, if you like that, harken back to '80s sci-fi, you know, Power Rangerish kind of thing. It's for you. It, it wasn't my cup of tea, but it may very well be. Obviously, Greg's cup of tea. <laughs> Amanda, is there anything you have to say about this movie? Um, nope. It might be coming up later. You'll hear okay. my thoughts. Uh-huh. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, Victor, what do you got coming up, buddy? Number nine. I think number, we- nine. <laughs> number nine. Number nine. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, this may be the first Netflix original movie to ever make it on one of my lists. And it is a fear street 1666. Now this is the ultimate episode in the trilogy of fear street movies, which I thought they were all pretty good. Um, But the 1666, even though visually it's very much an homage of the witch or the, the witch, if you prefer, um, really ties everything together that they've been working on for all three films. And it's a decent, scary movie in its own right. So I really, I really liked the script. I think that that was basically the star for me. But um, I rather enjoyed the whole series. And I think this is, um, this is the best of the three. So yeah, Fear Street 1666. That's a great shout out. Um... I thought I, I have feeling similar to you with the fear street. I was enjoying them well enough going along, but I think without this entry, I would have had an overall sort of meh attitude towards it, but yeah. it's a pretty good standalone story and it does elevate the other two. It sort of ties it all together and left me with a pretty positive, like, Oh, I, I definitely like to see more of this sort of thing. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I, it kind of started off as your Wicker Man, you know, which uh, which uh, Master General, which Finder General mm-hmm. kind of deal, and then it flipped over to Dawn of the Dead, all within one episode, which <laughs> which, which I really liked. I thought that, you know the gore was good. You know, the characters were kind of neither here nor there, but they were compelling enough to keep you on a watch, yeah. and it was creative, and, and and most of it was practical effects, which I really really liked. So yeah, mm, yeah. there we go. So Amanda, what do you have for your number nine? Okay, my number nine. Get ready to play some crazy ball because my number nine is Psycho Gorman. Ah. I um, 
I love this movie. <laughs> I pretty much felt it was an explicit episode of the Power Rangers. And I grew up with the Power Rangers and I absolutely loved them. And this movie, it had everything. Monsters, aliens, fighting, over-the-top gore, and just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Family values. Oh, yeah. But I can see why so many people did not like it. Because that girl is annoying. And because of her, it's not higher up on my list. (laughs) (laughs) But she's like a real little sister. I got to say that. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if it's if it's the proper respect was given to police officers in that film. <laughs> <laughs> Probably right. not. Probably not. Okay. Well, what do you got for- there, Nathan? I won't forget. Well, no, I won't forget you, Bill. Bill, what was your number nine? Oh, you want me in now? Here. Okay. Yeah. Number nine takes you back to the Terminator. Takes you back to those Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns where the strong silent man does a lot of the work. This is of course, Willie's wonderland. Will, Willie's wonderland. It was one of those ones with Nick cage, either you love him, you hate him. It can be a great over the top performance or it can just be utter shite. This was, I thought a lot of fun and he didn't say a darn word. I don't think the whole film, <laughs> he's basically a guy coming in off the road. He needs a job in a small town. Oh no, sorry. He get his, he has car trouble. And his car needs fixing. He gets it to the garage. And the garage owner says, basically, he won't take debit. He won't take a credit card. It has to be cash. He's being a real pain in the butt. And he says, but I got an, an opportunity for you here, buddy. You go down to the to the amusement park that's been shut down for a while. And you clean it up. And you can be the janitor. And if you make it through the night, you'll have paid off your debt. And let's see if you can do what you got to do. Well, it's not exactly an amusement park. It's more like your Chuck E. Cheese, you know, birthday party. Kids kind of get up with the animatronic devices and robots and puppets. And let's just say they're not exactly acting kid friendly. And it becomes a survival film. It's, it's, it's got the element that I love. Small space horror, single location survival film. Now, it's not like Saw, but it does have elements of Saw in terms of you got to make it through the night. You got to get through the obstacles. And he loves his energy drink. Let's just say that. So I I don't know what you guys, I had a ball with this film. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. But Lamb was too absurd for you. Yeah, see, but this is just silly. This is just silly. I'm, I'm just kidding, Bill. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I personally couldn't quite get into this, but I really want to. I love the sort of silent Nicolas Cage performance, you know, where, where he doesn't, like you said, utter a single word. And it's almost as if, you know, you look at those Atari 2600 games and it's like, this is a, an adaptation of that. This is what the characters inside of an Atari 2600 game are actually doing. <laughs> and uh, I, from that perspective, it's, it's definitely fun. <laughs> I would put it in the psycho Gorman category, sort of, of just, you got to turn your brain off and go with it. <laughs> Victor, did you see this? No, I have not seen it, uh, but I am a Cage fan, so uh, I might check it out now. And uh, the way you described it sounded an awful lot like Pixar's Cars to me. I'll put it this way. If you you saw uh, last year's or two years ago's Banana Splits, it's Mm. kind of in the same vein. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't help you. That doesn't help Mm -hmm. you. No, I'm starting to get the picture though. I I I think I get it. Um, yeah, 
It's, I, almost think of, think, a, I almost choked on a drink when, when Victor said <laughs> you made it sound like cars. Because <laughs> you kind of did now that I'm thinking about it. Think of, think of your childhood birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese. Gone awry. <laughs> what did you think of it, Greg? I, I'm right there with you. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it did get bumped out because of Psycho Gorman. I mean, you know, it's the sometimes you just you have to pick one. Um, it's it's weird because you're keep anticipating Nick Cage to say something or to do something, and the next thing you know is you're halfway through the movie, and it's like he had he he's silent. He has not said anything yet. So it kind of changes my gears and, and watching him at that point. And, um, the quick edits when he's playing his pinball and drinking his energy drinks and getting his drinks. And then he has to face the, the army of, of robot deadites, if you will. And they each bring their own little category. So it's kind of like a, like a Kung Fu movie. And he's the and he's the Bruce Lee character that has to keep working his way up the ladder um, till he gets to the final boss. And uh, it's it's definitely one where you don't need to overthink it. But um, having that silent Nick Cage, I think it's beneficial. But yeah, I do like when he goes off on some vocal tangents. So um, it just wasn't. It, 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 it's good. It just did make the list. I was going to say, Amanda, did the, you see this film? honorable mention list, but that's okay. I did. I liked it a lot. It, I thought it was a lot of fun, and they gave us something to tide us over until we get an official Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And no doubt I'll have all my students saying, I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to the fact that they did go with the animatronic and sort of like puppet or person in a suit route with these things because the scenes where he's fighting them is by far the most entertaining part of the movie. <laughs> and 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 it follows the tropes. The horny kids get killed. The the jocks get killed. It, like it, it's got it. It's got as Nathan likes to say the checklist film. Okay, yeah. check 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 check. <laughs> it, it checked them all. It does indeed do that. <laughs> so uh, Nathan, what do you got for number nine? So for number nine, I have. The Last Matinee. Uh, it's directed by Maximiliano Contente. And this is actually a movie that was a result of when Amanda came on our show uh, last fall and, and mentioned it and talked so uh, highly about it. Like instantly after her description of the film, I was all in for seeing it uh, very quickly. I'll, I'll give you the sort of uh, synopsis for anyone who hasn't. On a stormy night in Montevideo, an engineering student named Anna takes over the duties of her father, a projection projectionist at a declining movie theater due to his ill health but unbeknownst to her the audience watching the film that she's running starts being murdered by a crazed killer and the thing that stood out to me when amanda was describing this uh she said you know it has that kind of retro 80s vibe it does take place all inside of a movie theater and and, and a little bit around the outside of it but essentially you know it's kind of contained in that way and there is indeed a killer a pretty pretty gnarly killer actually i won't go into too much of it here and she was talking about the visual style, the way this movie looks and how bright and colorful it is. And that just a definite sort of throwback to uh, the Bava movies, Mario Bava and, of course, uh, Lamberto Bava. The, the Demons is obviously a checkpoint here because you do have a movie yeah. dealing with uh, a murderer who's in a movie theater. And I will say on the on the, the surface of it, 
it almost is feels like a turn your brain off movie not unlike the couple that were just mentioned it's not a comedy um by any means it is a fun movie but i wouldn't say it's a comedy uh, everyone's here watching a movie uh that's actually interestingly one of the director's earlier movies and there's a sense where he almost kind of makes fun of it a little bit you know it's definitely a lower budget effort uh, a frankenstein day to be so it's a frankenstein movie but it definitely has that sort of like campy vibe to it and so these characters keep commenting like what the, what, what the heck are we watching what is this but uh the deaths are very gnarly they're very uh, violent and visceral but those characters there's only a handful of people in this theater too and so uh you get to see what each of these characters is doing in their own little quadrant of the theater and then, and then here comes the killer and then you have the projectionist who's starting to figure out something's going wrong here this is not her normal job she's doing this for her father who you know he gets to kind of leave the movie early so he's not in for all the crazy stuff that goes down but visually speaking this is beautiful the imagery on the film just pops and it's he has a great sense of what this kind of movie should have i i've started to tire of all these retro 80s style movies with the synth soundtracks it's not that i don't love those things but sometimes i think when filmmakers sit down to do this they say okay we'll give you all the things you love here it is here it is here it is they kind of throw it on the screen without a, a great understanding of why we liked it in the first place. I say Last Matinee is a kind of movie that's so good at what it's doing, you could literally take it and bump it to 1988 or 89, around the same time Demons came out. I mean, this movie could play just as well there. I mean, it's a it's a legitimate example of what it's what it's trying to be. I'm not in some ways unlike Malignant on a, on a lower budget here, and you know. On one level, when I saw it initially, I thought, hey, that, it's just a fun slasher and it isn't really commenting on anything. And maybe it's not. But, you know, in 2021, <laughs> with uh, in the middle of a pandemic, the idea of being one or one of maybe seven other people in the movie theater, not sure if uh, death is coming for you. Maybe maybe it isn't that. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe there's more there than we think there is. So I highly recommend The Last Matinee, especially for fans of slashers, fans of that Italian style horror movie. Uh, this one is really good. Um, I can't say enough good things about this. The last matinee, it's a fun ride. Yeah, totally agree. I loved it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you guys recommended it to me, uh, but I, I checked it out and it's, uh, man, all I can say is, yeah, if this had been made in the mid to late eighties, it would be a classic. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So, okay. So we are back to Greg. Greg, what is your number eight movie? All right. Well, number eight is in an isolated Oregon town. A middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student whose dark secrets, dark secrets lead to a terrifying encounter with an ancestral creature. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Jay of the Dead's beastly freaks and antlers um really was anticipating this movie for quite a while and um it it, it just it, it just had the right amount of creepiness for me and i felt like it it harnessed uh, the the creature really well and there's some good um changes that happens throughout and good gore scenes and um just plenty of uh dramatic action uh, uh it hooked hook lion sinkered me so I had to get it on the list and it's, it's at number eight antlers. Yeah. I've watched this. I wasn't as high on it. I think partly because we'd been talked about this film. We had heard about this film for so long hmm. and my expectation was so high for it. it. 
it couldn't uh, meet the expectation that I had for it because I mean, I think it was like about a year and a half. Oh, yeah. for this Understandable. Film. Um, I found it was, I found it slow at the beginning and then it, th- that last 20 minutes was just bizarre. It was out there and bizarre movies don't bother me, but I don't know. I, 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 I enjoyed it, but not enough to get on my list. Vicious Victor. Uh, yeah, uh, Antler is also my number eight. Um, so oh, <laughs> oh we'll, we'll, right we'll, in. we'll just go right in <laughs> with Mr. Bench. Yes. Um, yeah. Directed by S- Scott Cooper. Um, is that right? Yeah. yeah uh, Scott, Cooper. Scott Cooper. It's, it's a beautiful looking movie. Like I would say, uh, I didn't like it quite as much as the American ring remake but because it's set in the pacific northwest (laughs) which is where i live and um the ring was also set up there it really reminded me of that like you know frosty misty mornings and lots of trees and um it's a great atmosphere for a horror movie uh the the only uh i I don't i don't think it, it quite comes together but i did uh like it um more than the first two movies i mentioned uh i thought it was stronger very slick looking movie uh, uh, there's something about the photography about the way they show like cop cars in the rain with the like the there's a filter on the on the camera that makes them look really really cool mm-hmm. and um yeah a lot of great actors in this uh it's 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 a it's it's definitely a a hit um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say it took, took a little time to, to get moving. I think it could have been a little tighter there and I totally agree with Bill, um, that, uh, it, it was, I don't know, um, a little, uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's hard to put into words. It's, um, it, it just, it kind of reminded me of, um, the dear woman, um, that, uh, masters of horror episode a little bit. I don't know if there's any similarity between the, the monsters in these, in these movies, but, uh, but anyway, a- antlers is a monster movie. Uh, and, uh, I liked it. So there you go. I gave it a seven. I was going to say, I liked seeing Graham green. I love just about anything. Graham green, uh, is in, he always, he's always like very understated, quirky kind of. And so he kind of plays the, you know, the older gentleman with the knowledge, but oh, I had yeah. forgotten about Amy Madigan. I hadn't seen her in ages. Yeah. Yeah. I like, and I oh, wish they had principal. used, I wish they used Graham green for more than an exposition dump, honestly. Like yeah. uh, the guy's a great actor. He does deserve to be in better uh, movies, I think. And uh, certainly better movies in Atlantic rim, which might've been the last thing I had seen him ooh. in prior to this. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, he did a great one in the nineties. It's actually part of the full car box set Severin just released called clear cut that, um, if you where he gets to be front and center for that entire film, and he's really good in that. I feel similarly uh, to Bill a little bit on this one. Uh, I did like it, but I, you know, the last twenty minutes, which I think is where you can really say this is where the monster movie kicks in. I loved, and I there were a lot of things I liked about the first two thirds, but in some ways, it's not that what's there doesn't lead into the last bit. In some ways, you feel like you're watching reels of a different film, you know, and you kind of want to see what were the what was the hour before the last twenty minutes of the monster movie I wanted to see like, and what was the last third of this sort of small intimate drama I was watching? What was that like? But instead I, someone, someone slipped the reels on me. I did like it. I think it is, does 
we'd heard about it for so long and it didn't quite stick completely to the landing, but I, I did enjoy it. So um, Awesome. Okay. So, so Amanda, I was going to say, uh, no, we, now Victor's had his say, so it's Amanda's turn. Okay. So for my number eight, I'm going to go with the stylist. And synopsis is a lonely hairstylist becomes obsessed with the lives of her clients and descends into murderous madness. Um, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. You really can't help but to sympathize with the uh, main character because she's just lonely and all she wants is to be accepted and to have a friend. Um, The way that I've been describing this movie to people is it's basically maniac meets single white female. And, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought Bria Grant was pretty good in this. Uh, she's uh, been in the industry for a while. She's a pretty good actress. Good. It is a bit bizarre. I was kind of ju- just hoping for a bit more of on the gore side, only because it opened up with it. I thought there was going to be more mm-hmm. of it in the film. There wasn't as much as I anticipated. It, it, it went from a little bit of, you think it's going to be a gore fest, and then it goes into storyline. <laughs> and then I guess then there is some along the way. But yeah, it was an interesting film. There's no doubt about that. What did you think about that, uh, Greg? Did you see it? I did not see The Stylist. It's on that short list, but I didn't make it to it. Victor? Uh, I have not seen it, but I do love the concept uh, of horrorizing a stylist which is someone who is behind you with sharp instruments (laughs) i think it writes itself yeah and i was happy that it went you know it it, the gore is there but the the fact that it does delve into the story that creates her as a plausible character and it puts her in you know outside of the kind of murder sequences it puts her in plausible social situations that would be problematic for someone who doesn't quite know how to deal with them and it's still a lot of these movies end up being, you know, they really get into the character's mind and they go very deeply psychological. And this one kind of stays and it's fun and it still has that, you know, it's like an elevated version of that movie, The Dentist with Corbin Burns. And, you know, <laughs> if they bothered to really make the dentist a real character, you know, and that's what they do with the stylist. I had a blast with it. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. And it's uh, you actually it's just one of those movies where you do sort of. You're able to feel a little bit for the monster here. You know, I, I think of also the Soska Sisters, American Mary. It's a movie that has that sort of feel to it. That's an awesome pick, Amanda. Yeah. Well, what, what was the one with um, uh, Johnny Depp? The Sweeney Todd? Uh, Sweeney Todd. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Not so <laughs> similar, that. but yeah, you have two barbers that are, you know. <laughs> it's, got, it's got that element to it. Yeah. Bill, how about you? Uh, this one that I have next was one that I watched towards the end of my cycle of 2021. I actually watched it over the Christmas holidays and I really knew nothing about it other than some of my friends had seen it. And I was like, okay. And I was expecting it to be one thing and it turned out to be something completely different. And that is silent night, silent night. I'll just read the quick IMDB synopsis. Uh, Nell, Simon, and their son Art are ready to welcome friends and family for what promises to be a perfect Christmas gathering. Perfect except for one thing. Everyone is going to die. Oh, no. It is. <laughs> Bummer. Y- you you look at the title, and and you, you thought it was going to be some bizarre Christmas movie where people have dinner and kind of things go awry and somebody will end up dead. That's what I figured it was going to be. 
but this is not. And I loved the tone of this film. And I want to tread a little bit lightly in case people want to watch. But it has to do with, there's a strong environmental message. There's a message of, don't mess with Mother Nature because it can come back and kick you in the butt, literally. And it has to do with what the government will do for you and what the government will do for everyone in society versus those with some money. There's a great family dynamic to the film. There's a little bit of what would you do in the situation they're putting themselves into. And there's a little bit of would you even quibble with people in your own family about making a similar decision. I know that sounds vague, but I'm purposely being vague because I want you to watch Silent Night if you haven't. It, it has the title of a Christmas film, and that's kind of the time of year they have it on, but that's not essential to the plot. This could be taking place on August long weekend, or this could be taking place in March. I really liked the film. I thought the uh, actors did a good job, especially the the young actors. Because sometimes in a horror suspense film, the young actors can either be a hindrance or a throwaway. And I thought they did a good job in this. I don't know what you guys thought about this film. Did not get the opportunity to see it. Nor have I, but... So I, I am intrigued. Yeah, it sounds good. And I think that's another horrorized metaphor for COVID times. It's like, you know doom-laden family gathering. Yes. Yes. It, it was very, I wouldn't say ironic, but you could see yourself in that situation. Yeah. Nathan, what were your thoughts on this one? I actually really like this. And it's funny, Bill, because we, you know, we keep going back and forth like, oh, this maybe was a little less horror, maybe a little more sci-fi. And I think, I think Silent Night to me, there is a lot of uh, where it's verges maybe on a little bit more sci-fi or sort of social drama uh but this kind of scenario and where it goes and how it's handled here i have nightmares like this constantly <laughs> you know where it's like <laughs> let me prepare you for eventual death my children uh seems to be a constant <laughs> theme of nightmares and i wake up and realize that things aren't quite that bad but you know maybe i should still prep uh, but this, it's wonderfully acted. It's very strange. If you are looking to it, expecting to be this horror movie that kind of keeps escalating, it's not quite like that. Uh, it's best to just discover what kind of movie it is because I do think it's very, uh, it's very effective at, this, at what it's doing. And it does, the environmental theme here, I think, does hit home because you're looking uh, so often these stories sort of focus on the uh, lead up and the actions and this is more all consequence and i like the way that that's handled here and and i will say the lead actress in this is kieran knightley who you will you know you'll know from multiple films uh the imitation games what i think of but she was in uh some of the pirates of the caribbean and Pride bend it like beckham i think it was where she, yeah, yeah. Kind of got uh, uh, atonement she was in a whole She's been in a whole whack of films, Matthew so. Good is in this too, and and they're both in it. They're both very good in it together. The whole the whole cast is good. Yeah. Amanda, did you have anything to say about this one? Um, I saw it and I did enjoy it. Um, I thought it was kind of odd that um, there's a Michael Blue Blay song that keeps playing throughout the movie, and it's this happy, like lovely little Christmas song, and it's set against this backdrop of just doom and gloom. And I got a real kick out of that. But yes, I really enjoyed the performances, especially the little boy, um, the one that was in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, he did so a phenomenal good. job. Yeah, I can't remember. There was one song before 
the cataclysmic event happens. I forget, was it like Lionel Richie or something? They were dancing. No, it was Sting. Oh, that was the other thing. Sting's wife, Judy Steiner, is in this film. And yeah, I think she helped finance the film. And at one point, uh, it, what was the Sting song? It's I forget which song it was uh, of his, but they're dancing to it. <laughs> I was like, there's the connection. That's how it got in the soundtrack. His wife is the director or whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah. No, it's if you love somebody, set them free. I think that was the song that they were dancing to. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not charged uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> but yeah, that that's a great choice, uh, Bill. Uh, my number eight is a movie that interestingly, as I was, I thought I was all done with these movies. I kept going back and forth with Bill. Like I think I'm done. My horror list is done. And I was talking actually to to Dave Becker and. You're going forward, and he had he had just started watching a movie, and he was sending me screen clips of it. I'm like, oh man, I might have to watch this. And I turned it on. Sure enough, it was available on one of the streaming services I have. I think it was actually Arrow Video Streaming Service. And I watched it. And at first, I was like, well, I'll save this for the other list. And the more I thought about it, I thought, no, it belongs here. And uh, here it is. It's called A Ghost Waits. It's directed by Adam Stovall. Here's the synopsis: Jack's job is to fix up the house. Spectral agent Muriel's eternal task is to haunt it. They should be enemies, but they become fascinated by one another and eventually smitten, leading them to question everything about their work, lives, and decisions. But as pressure mounts for them to fulfill their duties, something's got to give for them to have the time together they both so desperately want. This sounds like a bad Lifetime movie, maybe? Sounds like a bad, uh, you know, big budget sort of comedy, maybe? But... A Ghost Waits is a extremely micro-budget production. Uh, it's also shot in black and white. And Muriel, who is the ghost in this instance, the way they choose to represent her uh, with the black and white, where she has this almost like um, Spanish influence, like uh, almost like one of the like the Day of the Dead sort of uh, uh, face paintings, like the way she is visualized is very cool. Also very creepy, especially early on when uh, McLeod Andrews, who's playing Jack, and he is in the house and he sees her for the first time. You're talking about some serious sort of horror imagery and you're ready for this movie that's about a sort of intense haunting. Then it becomes about two people sort of getting to know each other the way you would have in, you know, I guess any sort of romantic movie but there's a sensibility to this movie there's a melancholy to it there's a fact that you get to watch jack and muriel both work these jobs and muriel's job is not really any more glamorous than jack's you almost get that feeling of beetlejuice where the dead have to report to drab offices and talk about mundane things that they still have you know you die and you still have a nine to five you've got to work that's that in and of itself was pretty depressing for me to to learn but the way the movie is done and the style of it uh, that Stovall does so much with so little. Uh, I'm always excited when I see an indie movie that on surface, I'm like, maybe I'm going to turn this off in five minutes. And they find a way to really catch you. And even visually, some of the things that he does here, he makes you care about these two characters, makes you care about what they're going through. And he adds just enough, I think, creepiness and enough uh, horror tropes to the film that it's really hard for me not to put it here in this category. Yes, it is a movie that has a love story at the heart of it. It's a movie that has a very melancholy sensibility to it. It makes you think about death and the afterlife. And it makes you think about life and what are you doing with it right now. And all of those things give it a little bit more poignancy than I think it would have had. It's not a sort of 
fluff, but it's also a very charming movie. It's a very sweet movie. I had a great time watching it. Uh, and it was one I had never even heard of before. So the way they handle the haunting and they really take into account, like, what would a haunting be like? And then what if there's a real person here behind it? And what is that person thinking about? And what is it they want? I loved it. So A Ghost Wakes. I'm surprised uh, that it's here, particularly as late in the game, but um, I highly recommend it. I know what Can I'm we... watching before. I uh, I was going to say before I tape LOTC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I had never heard of it. And there's a reason he told you and not me. <laughs> well we'll see yeah i don't i don't know if uh, I, I think we were just texting and he's like this is what i'm watching right now and i said well that's what i'm gonna be like you guys just said that's what i'm watching now too so um yeah so i guess we are back now we're moving on up to number seven greg i was just gonna you- say nathan i was gonna say nathan the, the one thing i like about this it's economically 80 minutes Oh, the movie. Yes, yes. That's yeah. It's only yeah. Ghost minutes, Wait, too. you're not talking about a three-hour parable about life and death. It's you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, you're, you'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, so okay. number sorry, seven. sorry, Greg. Sorry, yeah. Greg. Oh no, 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 no. You got fine. But I have my number seven, and that is already been mentioned. In a rural Iceland, a childless couple discovers a strange and unnatural newborn in their sheep barn. They decide to raise her as their own, but sinister forces are determined to return the creature to the wilderness that birthed her. Of course it's Lamb. A24, I felt like knocked it out of the park this year with their movies. And uh, Lamb, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I started watching it and I'm thinking, well, this is this is really a nice, well-shot drama. I mean, it's, it's kind of slow, but once the reveal reveals start to happen it's slow at first but it starts to build and build and and what's even creepier is is sometimes you see some things in the background and you can't really tell what they are Mm -hmm. until the ultimate payout in the end um so it's 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 definitely worth the watch and um man it's just one that i can't wait to revisit it's not one that's going to be quite as entertaining as like psycho gorman or something or ghostbusters but it's definitely one that I, I feel like when making this list, I think every one on my list was movies that I plan to. Uh, they'll they'll stand the test of time for myself, and I'll end up going back to them periodically just to get that uh, nice nice feeling. So, Lamb for number seven. And I'm so happy this is on the list, Greg. Yeah, it, that's awesome. And something I didn't mention when I when I mentioned my list, that opening shot uh, is so creepy and it's so strange and you're watching something feels like it could be something from an ingmar bergman movie or something from even like a bellatar movie uh you're just watching someone or something make their way through this driving snow and they arrive at this barn i mean that was such, that was one of the greatest shots i think i saw in a movie this year i mean that's totally mm-hmm. taken apart from the rest of the movie what a fantastic opening shot that was yeah i, I was thinking of uh, bergman as well and i also appreciate the shots in the barn of just watching the, the lambs being born i thought that's pretty cool you don't see that in a film very often so it, it was uh, it was a realistic portrayal up until something happens <laughs> <laughs> up until it lost its mind yeah, <laughs> yeah. um victor your number uh seven movie well, we've already talked about it. It's the last matinee. Um, awesome. So, 
yeah, uh, thanks for recommending it. And I loved it. And you guys know what I think about it. Not like, would you say it's kind of a modern, I know you guys used this term before. Is it more like demons or is it more like stage fright? I'd say uh, demons. Yeah, remind me of demons more, yeah. but it, it, it's. Um, I mean, in the fact that it, it it all takes place within a movie theater, I was also really. I thought of Inglorious Bastards a lot watching it because they had. I mean, that was yeah. inspired by demons, also. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Um, but that thing where they're all kind of trapped in the theater, and you know, there's a lot of sort of areas they can go and then there's a killer loose and you know the fact that it's it's mostly teenagers that are being hunted it means they're you know pretty much without (laughs) without help like without any training or anything they're just facing this uh, you know lunatic but yeah um it totally totally works and and by the way i don't know if we've mentioned um it is in spanish isn't it it isn't it is yeah it's it's, yes yeah yeah yeah, it's it's in Spanish, but there's not all that much dialogue. So if you're one of those people that like to multitask um, while you're watching horror movies and doing something else, uh, I think you'll find that you can do that in this movie. Uh, and there's enough cues that, that will cause you to look up when, you know, the really cool set pieces happen. Yeah. <laughs> and they are um, great. Oh, yeah, the, the, the practical effects are amazing. And hey, some of the people in this movie are multitasking while they're at the theater, too. So... There yeah. is you know, that. Uh, I, I love the way that once you're in the movie theater and you have these various people that when you pop in on their stories, you are sort of interested, like, hey, what's going back up in row three or row four? You know, you've got kind of a you know a couple who are meeting at the movie theater, like they, you know, a young guy who sees a girl down there. I'm going to go talk to her in the middle of the movie because, you know, most people don't seem to be into this movie. I love that little aspect. Like I was into each of those things and more than just waiting to watch them get killed. I was curious about what they were doing. Yeah. And, and also, uh, yeah, just one final comment. I, I just, I thought it was kind of, I don't maybe it's coincidence, but the fact that the movie they're showing is, is some kind of modern version of Frankenstein. <laughs> yes. I, I felt like the filmmakers kind of Frankensteined a lot of their favorite things from horror movies from the eighties and nineties to make this movie. Yeah. There's an exhalation of smoke that is amazing in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, so yeah, hey, I can't argue with that. So number seven for you, Amanda. Well, my number seven is the vigil. A young man is tasked with keeping vigil over a deceased member of his former Orthodox Jewish community, only to be targeted by a malevolent spirit. Um, I really enjoyed this one. I loved the atmosphere of it, and I found it to be genuinely creepy. And I just thought it was very unique. We don't get a lot of um, Jewish folklore movies. And I really think we need more because it was very interesting and terrifying at the same time. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Such a creepy premise and such a creepy like atmosphere to this movie. It's really, really just like unsettling. Yeah, it was, it was really dark. It was really creepy. And I, I'm, I like Amanda, I learned a little bit about the Jewish and the Hasidic backgrounds. Uh, I didn't know about this. Now I don't know. I know some of these t- things, Hollywood or the movie makers make it take their liberties with it, but I'm sure there's a, a basis of truth to this. So yeah, I, you know, like supernatural is not necessarily my bag, but I enjoyed myself. This was one that I wish I had watched with the lights out. It was like in the middle of the afternoon in the mm. Christmas holidays, I watched it, but yeah, it was a pretty good film. 
Yeah, I really liked it too. It's it's actually a little further uh, up my list, um, but um, yeah, I think uh, Nathan, I think you recommended this to me too, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's imagine a movie kind of like The Exorcist, but with an unreliable narrator. You know he's unreliable from the first scene on, so it's not much of a spoiler alert. But uh, I think that like. A few other movies I like, it sort of has the character, the main character's journey and the actual events of what you're seeing in the movie kind of tie together and um, resolve together. Uh, and I thought that was very, very cool. And uh, yeah, I totally agree with what Amanda said. Um, you don't see depictions of, uh, of this very often in movies. And, uh, I thought it was totally effective. It totally worked with the story and, um, yeah, I can't, can't recommend this highly enough. Also would have made a great X-Files episode. Yeah. Would have Greg, <laughs> did you see this? Nope. I'm the, uh, I'm the odd one out on this one again. It's, it's on my list, but I just couldn't get around to seeing it in time. You'll enjoy it. It's a, it's a good one. And it's not like Excellent. if you want to watch it with your kids, it's not going to freak them out too much. It's, it's really creepy. Uh, I'll just say it's creepy. I'll just okay. leave it at that. All righty. So for my number seven is one that I'll tell you right now, it's a Netflix film. And when you get a Netflix film, you're always kind of, I, I, I find it's, it's a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get, but it was one that was released much earlier in the year. And, you know, due to circumstances, life gets in the way, whatever. I just hadn't watched it. So I threw it on late at night. Uh, I think my wife had gone to bed. I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit on the couch and veg out and watch. I ended up enjoying myself. And it was 2021's Blood Red Sky. And Blood Red Sky started as something that I thought it was going to be. And then it turned into something I didn't see coming. Here's what the synopsis is. A woman with a mysterious illness is forced into action when a group of terrorists attempt to hijack a transatlantic overnight flight. So there's this woman that's got a disease and I was trying to piece together, you know, they mentioned something. I thought maybe she needed like a bone marrow transplant or she was dealing with some sort of needing something to keep her alive. That isn't necessarily where this movie goes. Here's what, you, it, if this makes sense, mash together snakes on a train, train to Busan, under siege, and a vampire film. And, and, and kind of put it in the blender, and that's what you got. Maybe a, a Twilight Zone episode that we may be familiar with. You put that all in that. It, it, it starts out as almost like a, a mystery adventure, and then it flips. And stuff starts to hit the fan. And it becomes a survival film at 30,000 feet in a small location. Lots of action. Uh, there's some, uh, one scene I, Nathan had said, should I show my, can I show my son this? And I said, it'll be fine to show your son, except there's one scene in a car that you get really crispy. Hmm. Uh, other than that, I won't say what happens, but it gave me more action and more excitement in a netflix film than it really had any right to i don't know what you guys thought about this film yeah i, I thought it was good um never boring uh even though it's the runtime i believe is a little little long but um i my one problem with it was it never really scared or 
grossed me out or it, it didn't hit any of those horror movie things. I thought it was a good a good thriller, a good action movie with supernatural stuff in it. Yeah, it, it didn't ever quite know what it was. And that was my issue with it as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think it kind of I mean, I, I think it does sort of know what it is, what it wants to be. But what it wants to be is, I think, more like an, an ode to 90s action thrillers than it is horror. Now, that's not to say the horror is not there, because I think it definitely is. And Bill, I did end up watching it with the kids and they loved it. And then they oh, informed, good. <laughs> then they informed my wife. Those people said the F word a few times. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Oh. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I really it didn't quite make my list and kind of similar. I think for what Victor says, I, I kind of was into it more as the action movie. But there's an action movie and there is some heart to this, too, I think. And it that does work. And I, Victor, you said if this if the last matinee had been released in the 80s, it would have been a, like a bona fide classic. And I kind of think the same thing is true about this. If I had seen this in a theater in like 1996 or 97, I would have, you know, gone nuts for it. Uh, this yeah. is like Passenger 57 if Wesley Snipes was also playing Blade in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good uh, pick. Uh, Greg, good pick, I was going to say, Greg, did you see this? I did. And you guys summed it up really good. I, uh, it's, it's definitely one that when you start watching it, all everyone kept saying was going blind, going blind. And I'm like, I've seen the poster and they're like, it's not going to spoil it, but try, try not to see the poster. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, well, it's too late. But I said, okay. (laughs) And sure enough, I mean, it's, it's definitely one at moments you feel like you're a passenger of the plane and then it flips the script and you're like, okay, you're trying to follow that. And then the flip script happens again and it's just like i think if it wasn't for the ultimate payout i think i probably wouldn't have enjoyed the movie as much as it is but you know the last 15 minutes really sums up the movie so amanda did you see this one i did see it i enjoyed it a lot um i thought it was a lot of fun yeah like did you did you relate to the characters not really relate to them but did you get engaged in them did you care about their story or what happened to them Oh, yeah, especially um, the way that they managed to incorporate, like, the backstory of the mother, like, how she became what she is and gives you a little bit more sense of why she's doing what she's doing. But, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and, and for those listening, this was Jay Pyle's number one movie of the year. Oh, wow. Yep. So, uh Yeah. I, I'll, I'll put that uh, that I'm in good stead. I'll just leave it. Like yeah, that. now Bill, Bill's spilling <laughs> other people's lists, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one thing I will say. Last thing I'll say about this is, you take this premise, you have this premise, and the movie keeps doing new, not necessarily maybe new things we've never seen before, but the movie keeps finding new things to do with it within its own world, within the the world of what's happening on this plane. It isn't just like, oh, there's your idea and we're just going to coast on it. They keep coming up with fun things to do with it. And I really like that aspect that, you know, every 20 minutes or so we remember this is our idea and we're going to do something fun with it. So I liked that aspect a lot. So what do you got there, Nathan? Okay. So my number seven is the queen of black magic directed by Kimo Stambuel. It is a Indonesian film it's a movie that we talked briefly about on an earlier episode that we did this year when we had uh, Donna Nelly on and talking Indonesian horror. It's actually a remake of a 1981 Indonesian movie 
has the same exact name. This was released on Shutter uh, in January, I think. So some people may have seen this, uh, it, maybe at a film festival, or maybe you know if you uh, were in Indonesia, maybe you saw it earlier as well. But uh, I saw it first time in 2021. I think this one was released here in the states in 2021. The plot goes this way: A family travels to the distant rural orphanage where the father was raised to pay their respects to the facility's gravely ill director, but. He and his best friend's homecoming turns into a terrifying supernatural ordeal that threatens their and their family's lives. Someone is using dark magic to avenge evil deeds, long buried but not forgotten. Uh, this movie, the reason this is on the list, I think in some ways it's a more straightforward horror film than some of the other entries. Uh, I thought this was legitimately a dark and scary movie while also being really fun. Uh Fun in the sense of a, of a film where you're waiting to see what's going to happen next. There is that element of the sta of to stand them up and knock them down that we see in slasher films that we sometimes see in a movie like A Final Destination. But this movie uh, features the antagonist, the the ultimate sort of evildoer, the monster, if you will, of this piece. Um, is legitimately scary. Is definitely not to be trifled with. Is not the kind of thing you would want to kind of cross paths with. And uh, the fallout, the black magic fallout of this uh, is intense. There are a couple scenes that are maybe a little CGI heavy where I thought, oh, that, you know, maybe took me out of the movie for just a moment. But this gets into, we have some pretty gory and pretty intense and um, grotesque scenes. We have a lot of suspense. We have characters that are getting their comeuppance in a way that kind of harkens back to me to a Tales from the Crypt sort of vibe. And again, you've got this, this antagonist of the, the, the titular queen of black magic. Um, this is, this is a movie with some bite to it. Yeah. This is, that's a film that I want to see. I just haven't had access to. So as soon as I can find it to get access to it, I want to watch it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I highly recommend Crazy. it. Yeah. I, I agree with everything Nathan said. Um, yeah. It, it's, it was, it was very good. It, it's, it did scare me at times. And I think that there's uh, also going back to what we were saying earlier, I think there's a really good metaphor in this movie as well for the haves and have nots. Um, you know, it's, it's to these two rich Indonesian families that go visit the orphanage in which they grew up. Um, so it's already got like a problem baked into it. Yeah. That's very <laughs> true. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it works. It's, it's got, it's got some interesting twists that I didn't expect. And, um, I, it, it was thrilling. I think a big theme as we've talked about some of these movies running through 2021, I think there's the, the question, we always have the question of, you know, evil as a result of wicked actions. And then we have evil as a result of non-action was a mm -hmm. big theme. I think, and, and also vice versa. Or oh, what, what, when you, what happens when you do choose to do the right thing in the face of evil, or despite the fact that, that you are in the midst of evil, you know, I think those elements were a big part of 2020 movies. And, uh, and in some ways that was really compelling. So I, you know, I think we see it in under the currents of lamb and under the currents of some of the other movies and definitely kind of right on the face of it in this one. So, um, yeah. yeah. How, so we move on then, Greg, you're, Number six, we are we are coasting right along. We're we're doing good. All right, no, <laughs> number six. Well, I'll I'll speak more after, but let me just give the premises. After a series of brutal slayings, a group of teenagers take on an evil force that plagued their notorious town for centuries. 
And then in a cursed town of Sh- in the cursed town of Shadyside, a killer's murder spree terrorizes Camp Nightwing and turns a summer of fun into a gruesome fight for survival. Finally, it's uh, thrust back to 1666. Dina learns the truth about <laughs> Sarah Fire. Back in 1994, the friends fight for their lives and the shady side's future. And of course, I happen to have a three-way tie because I just couldn't pick one. And I'm talking about the Fear Street trilogy. Uh, So Fear Street 1994, Fear Street uh, Part 2 1978, and Fear Street Part 3 1666. And it's like apples, oranges, and grapes. I just couldn't pick one because they're all so well together for me. And it's it operates as one cohesive i did view all three independent of each other and then later after all three were released and gave myself about a month later so in august because they all came out in early july i watched all three as one continuous movie and i said well if 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 this (laughs) makes my list i have to include all three so um if you haven't seen them it's it's saccharine it's so sugar laced, but yet it's so good and delicious and fun and entertaining. And it's it's one that if I was a a, a tween, I would have gobbled up this entire movie and just it, it'd be I, it, I'd wear out the streaming service if there was even such a thing. You know, <laughs> I mean, VHS back in the day, you know, you could wear those suckers out, but. I Basically, think the yeah. history trilogy definitely is a this cocktail, one would have been on saying, rotation <laughs> regularly in my house. So, yeah, not much more I can say about Fear Street. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's and it's and it's a delicious fruit cocktail. And, you know, and if you are <laughs> a, a, above the drinking age, throw in some. Yeah, I totally um, yeah, somebody mentioned yeah, I totally agree with rum Greg. Earlier. I mean, uh, yeah, the, yeah the, I, if the, there's the, anybody the that works for Netflix trilogy. listening to the show, so, and the, and the fruit please cocktail. green light more just the of rum. these trilogies. Like, it was a really cool idea. Um, or, or just green light more movies by Lee Janiak, or I'm not sure how you pronounce her name, but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed them too. And it felt like a legitimate event too, you know, um, Harken back to those days of like the miniseries on TV, even these are all dropped kind of around the same time, you know, it was really fun to watch and really fun to sort of participate with everyone else who's watching it at the same time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I looked into the director and uh, Lee had only ever done one other film called honeymoon back in 2014. Oh yeah. I've seen that. I was going to say, which I it's believe I've seen, but in since since then she's only, I think done a few episodic TV shows. And I see that she's, um, again, doing an episode in a miniseries. So I think her talent will overcome, and I think she will get more and more as a result of this. Maybe she's choosing not to. I mean, I don't know her personal circumstance, but she definitely has talent. Uh, It's a name to look out for. I remember when the series came out, because for those of you who remember back in the summer, for the month of July, I was camping, and it came out while I was out there. So I, by the time I got back, I was ready for school, work, blah, 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 blah. I didn't get to it until over the Christmas holidays. And I literally watched three of them in like three nights in a row. And my wife is not a horror fan. Like she'll put up with them and watch a couple with me, you know, just to placate me. But uh, she watched it and she enjoyed it because it kind of gets back to that 80s and 90s style of filmmaking. It's back into the 70s at one point. 
And I got to say, Greg, I du- I really dug the soundtrack. Soundtrack was great for yeah. a lot of these. So, yeah, bang on. Good, good call on that one. Great choice. Victor, you're number six. Uh, number six, yeah. I have The Night House. Um, this is directed by David Bruckner, who brought us The Ritual a few years earlier, which I loved. Um, and I loved The Night House, although The Night House is less perfect than The Ritual. Um, but uh, yeah, it's basically actually kind of, um, yeah, kind of like another film we were talking about earlier. I think it's uh, at once a metaphor of a woman's grief over losing her husband at a fairly young age. Um, and there's also something supernatural going on. And I think the place the movie stumbles is the third act towards the end. Um, The conclusion is meant to tie everything together and it doesn't really quite do that. But there are some really creepy sounds and images in this movie that I had never seen before. And, um, Furthermore, I just found out a few days ago from my buddy Stephen um, mentioned that this was part of the inspiration for rebooting the Hellraiser franchise. Um, And I should probably say the movie does have a bit to do with occult architecture. Um, I don't think that really gives anything away. uh, But the idea I was trying to like in my mind kind of plug in like how this relates to the puzzle box and like I, I can kind of see that maybe that, that they were attempting to to write, but at some point they scrapped it and kind of went down to the studs and and built up a new movie. And I think it's a very respectable movie. Like I think it, it's great. Like Rebecca Hall's awesome. I would probably see her in anything. And um, yeah, I I really liked it. It sounded great. It looked great. Um, yeah, very happy. It did did genuinely creep me out. On, on one or two occasions. But uh, yeah, I give it like 7.5 out of 10. Great choice. Awesome, awesome choice. Thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It's a creepy, uh, I, you know, there's elements of supernatural, there's elements of mystery, there's elements of some quirky characters involved. I liked Vondi, what's his name? Vondi um, Curtis Hall, is that his name? Yeah. Vondi Curtis Hall is the neighbor. Uh, you know, he just wants to get together with her, invite her over for dinner, you know, and he ends up, let's just say, spilling more than he wanted to. Um, yeah. and, and you know what the takeaway is? Never go wandering in the forest. You just never, <laughs> yeah. you just never know what you're going to find. But yeah, it's, you know, and the setting is nice. No, it's, it, you know, it's that you think it's going to be a quaint uh, setting with the lake house. And <laughs> the other thing, as a teacher, I love the scene where the parent comes in. Oh yeah, that's a great scene. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've just wanted to be that blunt to a parent, you know. <laughs> and Rebecca yes. Hall delivering it like she just has that, you know, <laughs> yes. the complete her performance in this movie is amazing. I honestly think it, it's it's Academy Award worthy in my mind. Uh, the, the the performance she gives here, and it, to me, it makes it puts the Nighthouse in a me personally in a in a level in a in a it kind of puts it alongside movies like the changeling with George C. Scott, like that kind mm-hmm. of performance where this isn't a person who's necessarily afraid of the potential of supernatural. What she's more afraid of is what she might learn on the other side of this about 
her husband, about what her life has been up to this point. Uh, but it, the supernatural is her gateway to figure it out. And so she's going to do what she's got to do. Uh, much like George C. Scott, it's like, well, I can't, I can't throw the ghost out, so I might as well help it, you know, <laughs> kind of mentality. And in doing so, I'll work through my own grief. I, I like that approach here. You have a person who's not afraid. They see the supernatural in this movie as a, now we know she maybe should be afraid, but uh, th- that's, that's what's intriguing. And I, and I think that is, you know, does it feel like Hellraiser? No, but I, I like that this is the movie that sprang out of that. And I like that it does have, I do think it has a sort of Clive Barker sensibility to it once, mm-hmm. once all the cards are on the table. And, and it does make me happy that, you know, maybe the the string pullers of the Hellraiser franchise, who I think is Clive now, I think he has the rights again, uh, are, are entertaining the ideas of sort of an art film approach to Hellraiser. So maybe what they what they do is going to be kind of close to this in sensibility. And, and I do think that the Nighthouse is an art horror film. Like it's it's not purely meant to entertain you. It's just meant to be creepy and atmospheric and then give you sort of philosophical ending. Yeah. Uh, the, the conclusion I agree was, you know, maybe not exactly what you wanted, but, but it tied it together, I think well enough. Mm-hmm. And Amanda, your number. My number six is the medium. It's a um, mockumentary from Thailand. And it's about a camera crew that follows around a shaman from a small village. But they quickly shift their focus on her niece, who is beginning to show the early signs of possession. Um, I love this movie, and it feels like we get two movies in one. Because the first half is it's more of a documentary, and the second half becomes your typical found footage film. But... I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was so interesting seeing all the different um, rituals and the different things that the, that the shaman does and the scenery was fantastic. And the acting, I really enjoyed the acting. You really feel like you're watching real people in real situations. Like you, it's almost voyeuristic in a way as most found footage movies are, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one a lot and it just goes off the rails in the third act. And I really enjoyed that. Now, Amanda, I want you to try to pronounce the first six members of the crew. <laughs> oh, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I, might, I might accidentally summon a demon. I'm not going to try. <laughs> wow. The, oh, the, the, particularly the first like 40 minutes or so of this movie, it feels like a legitimate documentary. Like, uh, and the found footage movies often they always yes. have that feeling of okay I know I'm ultimately watching a horror movie. <laughs> I am confident you can watch at least the first thirty minutes of this movie you didn't know, and they do such a detailed way of of making you feel that this is real and you don't see anything that would technically be outside of the the realm of oh something's being misdiagnosed maybe as supernatural. What's happening in this movie, uh, it's fascinating. Now, obviously, this is a fictional horror film, and where it goes, it does get go to some pretty crazy uh, places. Now, I actually found that 
I, while those scenes are scary, that's the thing about this. I think this is also a movie and very rarely do I think that movies, uh, particularly modern movies or horror movies are scary. This is one that gets scary, but in some ways I was so much more interested in this first 30 minutes because it brought me to this world that I had no real concept of. And it felt for all the world, like it was a hundred percent real. Um, the acting in it is terrific and it's, it's just really well done. Yeah. It's almost a tale of like two thirds is one thing. And then all of a sudden it flips. And we've said that about like 10 movies. (laughs) That's the, well, well, that's true. (laughs) Let's pull the rug out. Yeah. But it's funny. I was, I was texting uh, Nathan as I was watching it and I go, it took an hour, 35 minutes. And then now, wow, I'm right into this, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, man, I was loving the hour and 30 minutes. And now what happened? (laughs) Like like peanut butter and jelly here, Bill. But but my, uh, you know, my one downfall to the uh, film at the end is, okay, I got to step carefully. People haven't seen certain people meet their demise and then it just keeps going. And, and, th- and then more things happen. And you're like, when is this craziness going to end? Uh, it was, you know, it's crazy. But I did like, like the beginning, like the, the mockumentary, you really almost believed it. Like, you know, like it's better than a spinal tap. It's better than other ones where you just kind of whatever this, you know, almost, you almost thought you were watching a National Geographic kind of deal, except this girl. It was just totally bizarre, and I really like the interplay of her in the office. <laughs> and the oh, boss yeah. is like, mm-hmm. the boss is like, "You're late again. You know, you got to get your act together. You got to keep. You know." She's just kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm a 22 year old. I'm going to do what I'm going to do." So, <laughs> it's a, yeah. but but and and then there was the they go down to the market, and they tell the sister they're interviewing the sister. Uh, no, the mom. Is it the mom? And, and she basically says, I don't like your question. Bugger off. And, I, and she just leaves. And she just turns away from the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was great. You know? But uh, yeah, it didn't quite make my list, but it was a good film. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Victor, what did you think of it? Same. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I love the fact that I didn't know any of the actors. So, you know, you I mean, you didn't know Norelia <laughs> Golmon Klong Polpec? I did not. Um, but uh, I mean, as a result, um, you know, unless we're watching a a psycho homage, uh, you know, it it kind of left the gates open to any of the characters being knocked off Mm -hmm. at any time because I didn't really know who the stars were. So, um, you know, I like that. I like that when I can't put on my, you know, script goggles and kind of see right through the movie. You Um, totally couldn't this time. Yeah, no, it's, it's so that it totally worked. And, um, yeah, I recommend it too. Yeah, Greg, did you see this one? Amanda's killing me. No, it's on my list. I I swear, if you saw my list, it's it's there. And I'm like, son of a gun, I missed another one. But yeah, I got to do is get on the Amanda mailing. I know. Apparently, every movie she posts, watch it because (laughs) just follow her on uh, Letterboxd, and then you just see what she's watched. Yeah. All right. So uh, that was. I was going to say that was great. And I'm going to steal, not steal. I'm going to be falling under Greg's thunder of fear street, but I was able to discern the three. I very strictly was able to see them as three separate entities that just kind of linked. And so my number six is fear street, 1978. I I liked the hearkening back to it's basically the burning Friday, the 13th. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of has that link with a little bit of 
uh, you know, voraciousness with some of the characters. They're, you know, they're promiscuous. They're trying to hook up. You know, they're mischievous. And then, you know, some things kind of come out and the bodies start to fly. I mean, I'm not giving anything away. This is a takeoff on uh, the camp horrors. But I kind of like there's that little bit of that, you know, that love connection. Uh, there's a little bit of things that are going on in different cabins. There's a survival aspect to it. It, it had a good soundtrack. Uh, there's a playfulness, you know, and it, it just made you feel good. It's, it's like you're watching, you know, a, a series of those films that came out from 78 to 85 or sitting around camps. Yeah. So that was my 78. I was able to break them up. I don't know, Victor or Nathan, or if uh, Greg has anything else to say about this one. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was a, a good soundtrack and it definitely is, um, you know, a, a slight, uh, it's, it's sort of a remix of those other summer camp horror movies that you mentioned, Bill. Um, and, uh, and I think it, it does that very well, but I think what's brilliant about the writing in all three of these movies is the way the films do that. They reference other movies and they're homages to other movies, but they still serve the story. Um, you know, there, there's nothing done for fan service. There's nothing done that's just, you know, there for its own sake to say, Hey, you know, Hey, if you saw the burning, you'll know what we meant by this. Um, it, it also moves the story forward and it, it has its own story buried underneath the surface that, um, that, you know, gets close. Literally, to literally buried underneath the surface. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, eventually it's uncovered. Uh, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. There's some, there's some cool scenes in an outhouse. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, what did you think of this one? I liked it. I liked, uh, honestly, I liked all other Fear Street movies to various degrees. And I, when I liked about splitting them all up, I do think is we talked earlier about 1666 for me, that's the centerpiece. That's the glue or the, you know, everything's also sort of in its orbit, but what it does uh, between 94 and this one is it frees up 78 to sort of just be exactly what it is and enjoy for what it is. And yet because it's part of this larger thing, you don't really walk away. You know, if all you wanted was that, you know, all if you wanted was the sort of spin off of a, of a, or a, a riff on summer camp slashers. It's a lot of fun for that. And, uh, but I feel that that structure, that the clever parts in that structure. That's, and I do think Netflix, you're onto something here to make movies like this, to make a series of movies like this. They kind of depend upon each other and free them up to just be this thing. Because I think 78 doesn't look so slight, uh, but also it gets to be fun and it makes the whole, the whole series look a little more fun because of its inclusion. Yeah, Amanda, what did you think of 78? This one was my favorite out of the trilogy. I really love this one. The um, music and just the whole summer camp slasher vibe of it. And I really appreciated the way that Netflix went about doing this series. Instead of doing like a um, TV series, which they easily could have done with this, they managed to break them up into three individual movies you know, set in three different time periods, but all linked together. And I just, I love the way that they did that. And I agree with Victor. I hope that they, you know, somebody is listening from Netflix because we need more movies like this. We need more Fear Street. Yeah. Can't agree more. Greg, is there anything rubber stamped you want to put on 78 in particular? Uh, I guess not really. Uh, the, the only complaint that I ever had with these movies 
and it's not really a complaint. It's just more of an aesthetical choice, I felt. Um, and they would have been able to do it is each time period should have had a more distinct look if and that's just a personal a personal opinion so like the 78 should have looked like maybe a film from like the 70s or the 80s like that burning-esque kind of coloring or the you know dare i say you wanted you wanted a you wanted a burn mark on yep. the film. And it would just it just would have been because uh, talking it with uh, with a various people over the past several months, they're like, sometimes I had a hard time telling when was when. And I'm like, yeah. And that would have just been an easy way for them to just by altering the coloring, maybe, or like you say, a burn mark on the 78 one definitely would have just, I think, turned it up just a little bit. But that's just a personal opinion. I kept waiting for the Alice Cooper school <laughs> death, but the song they advertised yeah. it as such, but the song wasn't in the oh, movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, if you guys haven't seen seventy eight, I I highly advise you guys. Oh, well, watch them all. So uh, this one I liked a lot, though. Watch the first tie of the evening comes from me. Uh, two films I loved, I thought were great, that really delved into in two different ways. The psychology of characters potentially not just losing their, you know, there's one thing to sort of become mentally unstable. There's another thing to lose your grip on reality. uh, That everything seems to still be okay, but it's not. (laughs) And the the people around you are maybe slow (laughs) to pick up on this. Uh, And the first film is Censor, directed by Prano Bailey Bond. Uh, This movie deals with the film censor Enid, played by Naomi Algar. She takes pride in her meticulous work, guarding unsuspecting audiences from the deleterious effects of watching gore-filled decapitations and eye gougings. Uh, Her sense of duty to protect is amplified by guilt over her inability to recall details of the long-ago disappearance of her sister, recently declared dead in absentia. And when she's assigned to review a disturbing film from the archive that echoes her hazy childhood memories, she begins to unravel how this eerie work might be tied to her past. In Censor, uh, Algar, I think, gives a great performance as Enid, but the movie itself uh, becomes almost a Russian nesting doll of of uh, metal horror where we're not sure where Enid is and what's going on and are we in a movie within a movie. And the movie's structure, its own uh, foundations, suggest her shifting mental uh, awareness of what's going on with her and does she know what's happening? And you get these stories that you get invested in and then you're not sure what exactly is happening or how it's happening. And then that movie becomes a rabbit hole where I think we're with Enid and we're spiraling around what's real and what's not real in such a way that for me it was a very effective and almost trippy exploration of, of, a, of, of madness and maybe, you know, of becoming so, uh, so immersed in a very insular world in this case this world where she is editing these films it reminds me a lot of a movie called barbarian sound studio that came out a few years ago with toby jones that movie is an extreme slow burn this one gets a little bit crazier gets a little bit more visceral i think i ultimately like it more because it uh it focuses in on the character and it takes us on a different journey and i love that about it the other movie for this tie is saint maude directed by rose glass uh, yeah. With an amazing performance, I thought, by Morphin Clark. Uh, that one's different, but also similar. I think in St. Maud, we depend a lot more on, 
Morphic Clark's performance as Maud, who is this hospice nurse who becomes obsessed with this dying patient that she has uh, on the surface. She has become very devout. She's very religious in a Christian faith, and she wants to save her soul. But at the same time, we see that she's very repressed. We get the ideas that her previous life was very different than the life she's living right now. We see signs that her um, devoutness may actually be hinging more on mania. We, we, we see the ways in which this religious faith she has may not be very healthy for Maud at all. And uh, or the people in Maud's orbit. And this is one where we are watching a lot more from the outside. We see the warning signs. We see what's happening to her. And this has more of the perspective of it's all about Clark showing what this, uh, not just this lifestyle, because Maud, I think, has always had these issues. But this current uh, course that she set for herself is sort of tearing her apart. And so it's interesting to see this movie that's much more on performance, we do eventually get moments, uh, some very, very creepy moments in which we we understand that what what uh, Maud is perceiving is very different than what's really happening. Censor uh, does the same thing, but we don't know if we're even to trust what we're seeing in that film. I think they're both amazing uh, uh, films. They're also amazing films for directors who sort of really kind of the start of their career and giving us a very definitive visions. And again, they're both grounded in, I think, amazing performances that uh, it, it, it's harder, I think, to portray a character that you want us to be sympathetic to, but that may not be uh, perceiving reality the way we do without kind of making it over the top or making it very obvious. And I think both of these films uh, really do that in such a way that you're still thinking about these characters and their ordeals after the movie is over. So for me, Censor and St. Maud, I think they're both terrific sort of character studies, but also are horror movies. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, in in literary world, there's a, a trope called the unreliable narrator. And I think both of those movies and maybe like half the movies we've talked about today <laughs> yes. uh, have that. Like they they have, and it's really tough to do that in a movie. In, in If you're writing prose, it's a lot easier, yeah. but um you know, you have to kind of tip your hat to the audience a little bit early. It's like, well, this person might not be telling you exactly the way it happened. And it's her point of view. Um, but I think that those those two movies you mentioned, Censor and St. Maud, are great examples of that. Yeah, they're both mood-specific films. Not specific, but mood-inducing films. Kind of the same, but then very different. Censor has... Something that um, Nathan didn't bring up too much. Censor has a couple good kills that uh, I quite liked. Yeah, <laughs> particularly yeah. one in a basement. I'll just I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. And it gets kind of more trippy towards the end, almost a sensory kind of film. When I'll just say what evolves happens. A good film. I mean, if you know the uh, video nasty list, that's essentially what she was doing. She was censoring the video nasty list and a really good portrayal by the actress there. St. Maud is a different yet. It'll still make you think like there's the scene where she's stepping on the nails that you're like, Holy cow. Yeah. You, you, it's almost cringy, uh, but there's the scene in a bar where she's trying to pick somebody up. That's equally interesting, but nowhere near the same kind of scene. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's an interesting film. There's some levitation issues. There's some sexuality issues. There's some rejection issues. Yeah. 
it's there's a lot going on in that 90 95 minutes whatever it is yeah i mean you guys you guys said it all so i mean the, <laughs> i'm trying to think of anything to add and i just can't you guys really nailed both the sensor and saint Maude. which of the two greg if you had to choose one to watch which would you go for um probably saint Maude because it just it, it just had that uh off kilter feel i mean you said it especially with the nails in in the shoes it it's it just sends shivers down my spine because i can only imagine the pain and the feeling and why she's doing it and it's like wow it's it's just it's powerful i guess amanda what did you think of either one of these well sensor i'll be talking more about in a little bit but um saint Maud, i really enjoyed that one um didn't quite make my list but i really enjoyed the performances and that ending scene that that's gonna stick with me for a very long time that's the best final scene in a movie this year i think possibly uh yeah um so, Greg, your number at number five. All right, um, Num- number five. It's numero cinco. Numero cinco. Uh, paralyzed by fear from shocking visions, a woman's torment worsens as she discovers her waking dreams are terrifying realities. And James Wan nailed it out of the park. And it's already been on on mentioned by Amanda. And it was malignant. Um, it's I just really fell in love with this movie it's not great but it's so entertaining and um the police scene alone stole the show but also the scene and it's not spoiling anything but when she's in the is in this prison cell and it's just it's just bonkers so it's just balls to the wall it is it is it is and and (laughs) so it's it's the kind of stuff that I don't know. I just feel like it's been uh, absent in cinema over the last few years. Not saying that this hasn't been there, but just the the culmination of everything that this that was in this movie. I didn't overthink anything. I didn't overanalyze everything. It was just all right there in my face, and I had to put it at number five. It, now, I find that at a certain points, it almost plays out kind of like a James Patterson novel. Kind of an investigative kind of deal. Did you see the twist coming, Greg? Yes. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of did. And the sad thing is, it was, it's kind of the reason why sometimes when I have a my spidey sense tingles and says, you may want to see this movie before somebody can spoil it for you. This was one of those movies that I tried to go and see. And of course, like two hours before I saw it, somebody is talking with me and says, oh, yeah. And then like 15 minutes in, I knew the whole movie. And I'm like, why would you tell me that? And I'm like, I almost canceled all my plans. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Go go through it. And of course, they weren't kidding. All right. Around that same time, I probably could have looked at my watch. And I would have been like, oh, that son of a gun. They did it to me again. So, but no, it's, 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 it's good. It was still good though. The, the thing about this one, I will say is like, so, you know, I think there's enough going on that you could, if you're, you know, you might come to a conclusion where you might make a guess and say, that's what happens. But I think malignant based on how it does things and how it handles things, 
even if you manage to somehow guess where the movie's going, I don't think you're really prepared for how it does how it does it. And it's almost yeah. it is in some ways almost spoiler proof that way because someone will tell you and you'll be like, really? And then you'll see it and you'll be like, oh, it <laughs> it's not lessened. I didn't find I find the effect of watching it was lessened. I love the editing on this. And I like there's this scene, and then the way they just bring in some of the musical cues, it like goes back to some of those uh, great like Italian like giallo movies where suddenly the camera is spinning around, and you know someone's going nuts on the synth, and you know it's just <laughs> it goes full out there. And I think what I appreciate, we'd already talked about it, but just it comes to mind that it's fun to watch somebody with a big budget and the skill level do this sort of thing. It's like what if someone gave Frank Heffenlauter, you know? like 25 million to make a movie and james wan just kind of goes for it yeah so couldn't you see like Stuart gordon with a kind of budget doing this you know yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> so victor right. you're number five uh number five i have a quiet place part two nice. i uh really liked the first movie i thought it was brilliant um and uh it sort of had that meta effect of i actually i saw that in a movie theater and <laughs> when you hear like a lone person crunching on popcorn <laughs> in the movie theater you're like Shh. um but um so they know that going into quiet place part two now the, the reason this is um maybe not further up my list is because i you know it's pretty much standing on the shoulders of giants it's it's not really a different movie than than they made the first time but um, there is a sequence at the beginning of Alien Contact uh, that is really good. And if you've seen the trailer, you've pretty much seen it. Um, and there's also a whisper argument. Uh, and I thought that was great, too. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I can't really talk uh, much about it without uh, spoiling the in case anybody hasn't seen either movie. But uh, anyway, I, I thought it was a good continuation. Um yeah, uh, it, it hit all the right points. It it never falters. Uh, I felt like, you know, some of the victories maybe weren't earned as well as they were in the first movie, but uh, overall it was pretty good. Like uh, 7.5 for me. Yeah, yeah I thought, uh, I, I was going to say, I thought Cillian Murphy did a pretty good job in his role. Yeah. Uh, as as Emmett. And uh, I was I remember texting with Nathan because he had seen it much earlier than I had. And he said, basically... Bill, this is going to fill in the gaps for you, but still move it forward enough. And that's kind of what it does. It's, it it fills in the gaps and you kind of get the backstory, but you don't feel like you're going backwards. You still feel like you're progressing. And that's what I liked about this film. Yeah. I think so many things have been revealed from the first movie, you know, in terms of like this movie is, inter you know, sometimes a sequel, we need to introduce a new alien menace. Or <laughs> Now, you know, here's another right. wrinkle. And they don't do that. This is here's what living in this world continues to be like. And yet they find new ways to fill in things that we didn't know by that that shift back to the beginning. Uh, and it's still thrilling. And they still manage to kind of keep a similar structure and do things and move the characters forward. And uh, wow, like what they what they do in some of these scenes is really, really good. And this was our uh, my family. And I, this was our sort of uh, big return back to the movie theaters last summer. And it was such a great, fun movie to see at the theaters and and to sort of be into it. Is it as good as the first movie? I, I mean, I don't think that it is because that genie is sort of already out of the bottle. But for a sequel to The Quiet Place, it's really good. 
Yeah, and, and you and, talked about Saint Maud having a cool ending. I like the ending to this one. It's yeah. full of action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, directed by John Krasinski. Yeah, he's really good. He's a, he's yeah. yeah. He's got that directing instinct that's, that's perfect for suspense. Yeah, but whatever happened to the baseball game? Who won? <laughs> that, that was, yeah. That is a pretty big plot hole, I admit, Bill. The aliens, the aliens won, Bill. Weren't you paying attention? <laughs> the out-of-towners. <laughs> the, the team from the Japan way team, won. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, Amanda, what do you got coming up next? Okay, my number five, it's already been mentioned, but it's The Night House. Um, Rebecca Hall's performance in this movie is basically what sold me on it. Her unflinching portrayal of grief is both captivating and very uncomfortable to watch. And I loved that I had no idea where this movie was going. And let me tell you, there's a jump scare in this movie that I think it knocked at least two years off my life. (laughs) When I saw it in the theater, I almost ripped the uh, armrest right off the seat. (laughs) But yes, I I love this movie and I think it's going to get better if I rewatch it, it, I'll continuously see new things. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm jealous you got to see this in the theater. It would have been a great mood movie to see in the theater. Yeah. And I, I would say if you don't get a chance to see it in the theater, cause it's, it's kind of late in the life of the movie now, um, at least watch it with headphones on because uh, that really makes the most of the sound design, which is awesome. <laughs> and in the dark. In the dark. Yes. And in the dark, yeah. This isn't a 12 o'clock, let's throw on a movie. This is 8.30 at night, the kids are in bed, you're having a cup of tea, this is the movie to watch. Or a drink, or whatever it is that gets your fancy. Alrighty. So I'm going to take mine at number five, and this is one that Nathan I know is high on. And because he was the one that recommended to me, Bill, you got to see this film. Bill, you got to see this film. Yeah, bugger off, I'll get to it, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and this was uh, Superhost. And Superhost is a film that almost has, like many of the ones we've talked about, a certain at a certain point it splits, and it, the the narrative goes from one thing to the other. I'll give the generic uh, synopsis: with their following, with their follower count dwindling, travel vloggers Teddy and Claire pivot to create viral content around their most recent Superhost, Rebecca, who wants more from the duo than a great review. So there's this couple that has like a YouTube channel that goes around and checks out all the B&Bs and small boutique hotels in a certain area of the country. And, you know, they're, they're kind of waning in their views and they want to be able to monetize this appropriately. So they're looking for something to kind of spice up their channel. And they find this B&B that seems quaint and it's got a good reputation, etc. And they get there. And uh, they've got some issues with the host, the person that kind of runs the hotel, and they kind of let it be known. And they try to leave. Well, let's just say that doesn't go so well. And it kind of flips from this kind of quirky film with a weird atmosphere to something much different. And I don't think I'm giving much away because on the poster of the film, you see a woman with a split personality and blood on her forehead you can follow that trail to see how you think it's going to go. But I was 
I wouldn't say necessarily riveted, but I wanted to see what happened. And I had to follow myself as the film went on. I really like this one. So thank you for recommending me this one, Nathan. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it does, it does ramp up and uh, a certain uh, performance in the film ramps up with it. And uh, that's, that's really what sold me, sold me on the movie. It's just a fun ride. Uh, Victor, did you see this one? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was fun, but I think you summed it up beautifully, Bill. I I can't think of anything to add. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Suck up to the host. That's great. Uh, (laughs) Super host. Amanda, super host. (laughs) Greg or Amanda, do you have anything to say about this? Don't push him too far. Nope. I I didn't get a chance to to bring this one into my eyes, so I didn't see it. (laughs) Amanda? Yeah, the woman in this movie was absolutely nuts. But uh, in her defense, the couple that was staying there, they were awful. They might as well had the little girl from Psycho Gorman with them because they were just terrible. (laughs) So I I can kind of sympathize with that woman as to why she went mental on them. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Alrighty. So as if I haven't sold that one enough, Nathan, what's your number five? My number five is also, like Amanda, The Night House uh, by David Bruckner. As Amanda and Victor have already mentioned, we've talked about it. I, I love the movie. I actually thought it was very strong. I think it, I think in some ways it is almost as strong as The Ritual. I, there were elements of The Ritual that I think, uh, they it brought in elements that I really favored. You know, there's a part where it becomes almost like a monster movie, and it's it, it goes in a few different directions, and those things I thought were the way they were handled were great. What's interesting about the night house is it's sort of uh, after a couple of watches, I, I, some of the things I didn't like as much the first time became features instead of bugs. One of them being that the third act feels a little bit amorphous. You get to this point, And I think like you said, Victor, it, it behaves if it's wrapped everything up, but in some ways it's wrapped nothing at all up. And I'm sitting there with a giant mm-hmm. like a uh, list of questions. And yet I think that features into the film's, perspective on grief and grief sprung from tragedy that will never have a conclusive answer you know that in life sometimes we never have a conclusive answer and so the feelings that the movie leaves us with again it's one of the to me a spectacular way of walking the tightrope between we have a metaphor and the metaphor is also a real threat at the same exact time and yet we're going to play into the metaphor a lot and this movie does that and, uh, and again, like you mentioned, Amanda, uh, Rebecca Hall was just phenomenal. And it makes watching certain scenes that she's in uncomfortable. The sound design is, like you said, amazing. There's a sequence when she's outside at night. And one of my favorite uh, horror uh, influences is uh, Val Luton, you know, who was a, he was never a director, but he was a producer. And the kind of horror that he specialized in of suggestions, of shadows, of things right on the periphery. I think Bruckner takes that kind of horror, that Val Luton perspective, and applies it in a modern movie in a way that I very rarely have seen where you could, you know, somewhere the ghost of Val Luton is doing the slow clap on some of those sequences, uh, (laughs) particularly some when she is just looking at things in the house and you take a moment to realize what it is she's seeing without the movie sort of tying a bow or drawing a circle around it. Or there's a sequence when she walks outside and every aspect of the film comes together. The, 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 the visuals, Paul's performance, the sound design, and something is coming from the left and then the right. And, oh my gosh, it's just, uh, I thought it was fantastic. 
filmmaking and horror filmmaking on a very, very high level. And, uh, you know, this was one that, that again, I was turned on to when Amanda uh, reviewed it on uh, the episode that she came on. I'd actually seen trailers for it. A friend and I were at the theater and we couldn't get into, I can't remember what, we were going to see some other movie and it was sold out. And we watched a trailer for The Night House and we thought, that oh, looks okay, but let's just go to a later viewing of whatever movie it was and then later i you know i thought you know what we missed out <laughs> the, be- the night house was the better movie so i highly recommend it if you haven't seen it yet awesome i i, I don't know if anybody has anything else to comment on but uh it definitely has the staying power because three of the four of you guys have have commented on it um uh so greg. greg what's your number four all right number four um for decades, the housing projects of Chicago's Cabrina Green were terrorized by a ghost story about a supernatural hook-handed killer. In present day, an artist begins to explore the macabre history of Candyman, not knowing it would unravel his sanity and unleash a terrifying wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with destiny. Yes, it is the resurgence of Candyman. I... I didn't think I was going to love this as much as I did. And seeing it uh, was just, this is, this is, you know, it's like to go back to like Halloween 2018, this is that new wave and, and, and it will, uh, it will also be part of a, a later conversation, but it's, it's, I hope, I hope that horror uh, creators, directors, producers are taking note, because I feel like Candyman and the Halloween 2018 and some others, um, they're just making these things in the right way. They're they're giving a credit to the predecessors and yet making things fresh and relevant. And in this case, hooking you right in because I was like, <laughs> it just had some cool stuff. And um, I don't know, it hit all the right notes, checked all the right boxes. So uh, Candyman is my number four. Very cool. You know, I, I haven't seen it yet, but um, there was a cool article in a couple of Fangoria's ago about the art that they use. You know, one of the characters is a yes. is a fine artist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they sourced a lot of that stuff from the locations uh, that they feature in the movie, and uh, it's pretty cool stuff. So it is. That's really neat to know. Yeah, I, th- I I thought it was refreshing. You know, like when you get into in such an iconic film, you're like it could either go one way or it can either go the other. I thought this went the right way. I really liked this one. This one, it, it made it fresh, but at the same time still played homage to the original. So it kind of kept the, you know, the mythos of the first one, but kind of brought it into 2020 or 2021. There were some good kills in this. Uh, I like the diversity of the cast. You have different sexualities. You have different colors. You, you really have what our society is. It talked about, you know, it kind of got into, you know, social status and class. But at the same time, at its essence, it's a horror film. And that's what you got out of it. And the last thing I'll say about it is I like their usage of Tony Todd. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it like that. That's uh, Greg. Victor, how about your number four? Oh, my number four was The Vigil. Um, We've already talked about it, but I just wanted to add that, you know, um, 
since Amanda just mentioned the night house is sort of a, a journey that the character takes. There's a, an archetype uh, in storytelling called the, the quest. And, um, you know, the character in that and the character in the vigil uh, kind of undergo a trial by ordeal um, during the course of the movie. And um, that's how they emerge stronger at the end. It's like enduring um, the hardships that they, <laughs> that the filmmakers visit upon them, upon their characters uh, and, and coming out uh, stronger. So, yeah, I think the vigils packs a, a punch of that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. I, I like the beginning part where there was the interaction between uh, the characters uh, trying to uh, get the one character to do the job. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I'll pay you this much. And you know, <laughs> you, you owe it to your, you know, your religion and blah, 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 blah. all right. You twist my arm. I'll sit in front of a dead body. All right. I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's and, and they're immigrants, which I thought was cool yes. because it, it kind of opens it up culturally to, to like anybody who's had that kind of experience. Like my parents that came to this country uh, in the sixties. Perfect. So you, you had relatability. Awesome. It's all good horror shit. That's all good horror, isn't it? Yeah. So, Amanda, what do you got coming up next? So, my number four, I have Sensor. Um, there's really not much more I can add to this because, Nathan, you did a fantastic job um, describing it. Um, one thing that I noticed, I think that um, this character, she thinks she's doing something good by protecting the public yes. from watching these horrible videos. But in actuality, she finds herself trapped in, I guess, her own horror movie. And it kind of makes you wonder. I always wondered, these people that do this for a living, that have to watch these horrible things, it must take a toll on them eventually, having to see all these things that you can't erase from your brain. And I just thought it was just such a unique premise for a movie. And it has such a surreal dreamlike vibe to it, especially the last half. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the setting of this as well. I liked how it accurately depicted the eighties because a lot of times you see movies that are set in the eighties and it's all, you know, happy pop synth music and bright neon and this and that, but no, they, the eighties were not, at least not the eighties. I remember they were not like that. They were more, Brown and drab and just <laughs> really grungy. clothes. Yeah, grungy. But um, yeah, this was a great movie and I recommend it to everyone who hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, the other aspect of the sensor that I'd forgotten about is it kind of becomes psychological at a certain point because you're kind of getting inside the mind of the main character and, and you're trying to guess on her motivations as they play out. You know, like it's a multi-leveled and then it becomes sensory and it has its share of violence and it has its trippiness. You know, it's got a lot packed into that 95 minutes or however long it is. Yeah, I like something yeah. you just brought up there, uh, Amanda, about the, the film is, yeah, this person that does this job, this censor job, watching all of these horror beheadings and you think, well, everyone probably on this podcast and maybe listening to this podcast has done the same, but I did I always growing up. I thought about that. Like these are the people that are supposed to think this is horrible, uh, mentally destructive stuff, right? Like they're opposed to it. And then you give yourself this job, 
<laughs> this is your job. You're watching hours and hours of things, not only that you hate, but that you find is supposed to be destroying the soul of America. And it's the thing you do from morning till night. You're like, what kind of person does that? And I think that's why why I tied it to the St. Maud. This is this is righteous quest that is in reality tearing her mind apart. And uh, right. I, I I remember once uh, was, I saw... Uh, Willow Creek, the, the Bobcat Goldwaith found footage to our movie, and he was there in attendance, and he was talking, and he's like, the one thought I always had is, we see found footage, and it's always been pieced together, and he's like, what kind of sick, sick mother is the person that's got to put the footage together? He's like, I want to see a movie about that person, and I feel like in some ways, censor is not far off from that mark. Yeah, and you know, it kind of makes sense that uh, Enid is so attracted to being a censor and protecting everyone in England from these movies <laughs> uh, because she's really protecting herself. And I, the way they use that to, um, you know, launch the movie into the, the, the third act, I think, is, is great. Uh, like, you know, it's, it all comes to a head. It's like, yeah, finally, the horror movies do for her what they are supposed to be doing for everyone, which is, you <laughs> yes. know, let them confront the the fear in their mind um you know without it without there being any actual danger but of course there's a twist <laughs> <laughs> yes of the night. and a fun <laughs> twist a, a yeah. fun twist in, in terms of me as my sensibilities of horror go i liked where it went yeah, yeah. all righty so for my number four i chose a film that i wouldn't say controversial or anything but there's a lot of split opinion on and I thought it was a better film than I expected it to be, than it really had any right to be. But it suffered from the fact of its title. And that's Wrong Turn. When you hear the term Wrong Turn, you think of big-toothed, weird-looking hillbillies that are cannibals. Because that was the successful franchise for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. Or no tooth. Or no teeth. Yeah. Maybe they gummed them to death, whatever it is that they did and kind of hid behind, you know, uh, trees and pillars and came out with these instruments of death. But this one went in a much different direction, but I can see the link to the original and I quite liked it. The uh, IMDB synopsis is pretty, pretty mundane. Friends hiking the Appalachian trail are confronted by the foundation a community of people who have lived in the mountains for hundreds of years. Essentially what happens is uh, there's a girl and their friends that uh, are going to hike through the mountains. They, they stop at the cabin at the bottom where they're going to rent and crash. And the woman there says, make sure you stick to the marked trail. Now these are people in their early to mid twenties. They obviously have an agenda of their own and they decide to, of course, go off the marked trail. And we all know, we've all seen a thousand films, what happens when you don't follow the trail you're supposed to lead to. The, it, somebody ends up going missing. And Matthew Modine, in a nice return, I hadn't seen Matthew Modine in a while, as the father searching out what happened to this group of people, in particular his daughter. Bill Sage plays the head of the foundation. Bill Sage is a great actor. And I think he nails this role, being both a person who lives in the woods with nature and then being able to reassemble back into common society. Yeah. It, it becomes a survival film. I thought Damien Maffei did a really good job in his small role as one of the foundation members. 
you know, and it comes off as, you know, it's got the, some elements of Final Destination. You know, there's log rollings. Everything that can go happen, that can go wrong, does go wrong. But I think it does it a little bit smarter. I thought they actually put the time into the writing of this. What it suffers from is it called itself wrong turn. If people are thinking of what their in their mind wrong turn is, this is not it. I think this is actually written better. Having said that, I love the wrong term films. I, I love I love that silliness. I love the gore. I love the goofiness. I love a good cannibal film with the rest of them. This is not that film, but it's not any less of a film. I think at a certain level, it's written better and it's probably acted better. It's got a higher pedigree of actors in this. And where it goes, and there's some twists, there's some character twists, there's some plot twists. There is some brutal violence. Don't get me wrong, but I like where it went. I don't know what you guys thought of this film. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Um, and I agree that it, it's, it deviates from the older franchise. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I especially agree with um, what you said about that that actor. Is it Bill, Bill Sage? Sage? Yeah, he's yeah. fantastic in it. It's yeah, one of those guys. Uh, what, yeah, when when like you're watching the movie, it's like, okay, I'm gonna pause this. Look, look him up. Like, what else has this guy done? Like, I gotta see. I, it. I remember him from We Are What We Are. Oh yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, the, yeah. He, was he was the dad in that film. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I don't know about you. I, I thought it was nice seeing Matthew Modine. I hadn't seen him in ages. Yeah. No, he was great. He was great in it. What'd you think of this, Nathan? I I really enjoyed it. I think, and in fact, I'm kind of with you, uh, Bill, that in a lot of ways I enjoyed, I don't know if you didn't say you necessarily enjoyed it more than the original Wrong Turns, but I do feel that the pedigree is a little bit higher. And I, whereas I think of Wrong Turn as kind of more of a fun sort of uh, B-movie, um, this is a little different. And this is another movie, Victor, that would have been a good X-Files episode. <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways probably already was an x-files episode but i think that they did some interesting things they had a few things to say i did like seeing matthew modine i you know i feel like maybe the last time i saw him before this was either in stranger it was in stranger things probably honestly and uh oh, yeah. they bothered to develop these characters and they do they do i think an interesting job of initially i was feeling this was going to be a sort of fish in a barrel film from maybe a political perspective but they don't really go that way and when they get into this, uh, uh, the ideas of this thing called the foundation, which, you know, I'll leave that for the viewers to discover, that the foundation isn't as easily uh, pigeonholed as you would expect it to be. I, I didn't feel. So, yeah, I, I was surprised to see a movie with a wrong turn after having so many wrong turn movies. And I do find it kind of strange, you know, that people were sort of put off by this since there are at least five other movies where you can watch killer mutant hillbillies attack people. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I was perfectly fine that this wrong turn was uh, was just a little bit different. The other thing I, I didn't expect going into a film like this was the amount of moral choices people made. Yeah. Like there were a couple different opportunities where things could have gone one way. And that's where I, where I said, I think the writing is a step above because they, they plotted it out and they kind of thought, okay, this person's choosing this this person's going to go that way and this is how it's going to play yeah. out. And we, they have an end game, but you just got to figure out how it gets to that end game. Amanda, did you see this one? 
I did see it. I enjoyed this one a lot. I went into it not knowing what to expect, but I really like where it went. And it had some fantastic kills. There's one involving um, logs in the woods. Oh, my goodness. Some pretty wrong, gnarly yeah. stuff. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah. There's a good one. In, I was going to say, there's a good one involving a piece of a tree. Oh. <laughs> and, and someone, yeah. 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 Sorry, man. Yeah, keep going. I, I enjoyed this one a lot. Okay, so it, it's consensus is don't be put off by the haters. Go out and watch Wrong Turn. Uh, okay, so Nathan, what do you got, buddy? My number four is the same as Greg's number four. It's Candyman, uh, Nia DaCosta's film uh, that is a sequel to the the original film, and I was really impressed with this. I was I walked in sort of trying to be. I was excited. I tried to be a little kind of cautious and sort of, you know, let's temper expectations. And ultimately, I was really pleased with what this does. And I don't want to go into a lot because if you haven't seen the film, it's absolutely worth seeing. It does some, uh, it's not fair to call them callbacks to the original because I think it takes plot threads from the original and develops them and sort of takes what was this thread and develops, weaves it into a, a kind of an entire tapestry to make another Clyde Barker reference, you know, uh, with Weave World, I guess. But creating branching ideas of what Candyman is and taking, not letting the Tony Todd legacy and push it to the side, but also not sort of just feeding off of it, using it to develop something that's a little bit new, a little bit different, and you, but but still expanding that original story in a way that was constantly intriguing to me and in fact in a lot of ways this Candyman movie i think the i think the bernard rose film from 92 is a better movie but in a lot of ways this Candyman is a more clive barker-esque if clive barker the author it's a lot more clive barker-esque story than even the original Candyman. i think it toys with ideas that barker had in his original short story and plays with them in ways that are relevant relevant to where we are right now culturally and socially and it's it's wonderfully acted it has a very uh interesting perspective on the art world and and our responsibilities to our art and our responsibilities both as creators of art as critics of art as uh participants in art and yet it doesn't get overwhelmed with that it doesn't become sort of uh pretentious about it because it delivers the horror it has great kills it has great visual design even from the beginning when we see cabrini green literally turned upside down there are sequences involving shadow puppets that that stuff has become sort of blase but it's done in a really intriguing way as you pointed out bill they find a way to tie tony todd in this in a way that's almost perfect and the spirit again of barker's writing is all over this even though it's essentially a new story, I was so happy in how this, this one turned out. And it has stuck with me in a way that very few sort of continuation stories have. I was going to say that one thing I forgot when we last talked about it was there's, and this happens early in the film. It's not a spoiler. There's a good kill in front of a large piece of artwork. Yeah. Which, which I quite, <laughs> I quite like that yeah. one. <laughs> But yeah, a very solid film, uh, Nathan. There's not a lot to pick at. 
when you like when you compare some of the later Candyman sequels, <laughs> this is heads and tails above. Yeah, this um, and if you've seen the first one, you love it. You do owe it to yourself to see this one. Absolutely, I was impressed in how they blended these together in ways that you know it actually was ambitious. They actually could have gone a safer route and not done some of the things they do. And they chose to go a, a direction that was maybe a little bit harder. And I think it paid off for them. So, yeah. Cool. So number three, so, Greg, what do you have for number three? We're in the top three now. Oh, top three. Number three. And digging deep. What you got oh, there, it's, buddy? It's not digging deep, man. This thing, I saw it and I, it, I was cheering. But let's just read the synopsis. <laughs> you know, the nightmare isn't over as unstoppable killer Michael Myers escapes from Laurie Strode's trap to continue his ritual bloodbath. Injured and taken to the hospital, Laurie fights through the pain as she inspires residents of Haddonfield, Illinois to rise up against Myers. Taking matters into their own hands, the Strode women and other survivors form a vigilante mob to hunt down Michael and end his reign of terror once and for all. Evil dies tonight. Let's preach to the masses. Evil dies tonight. Halloween kills. I just, I'm, I, this was going to be my number one. And then my number one and my number two, uh, they just, they just trumped it ever so slightly. I'm a horror uh, uh, not a, uh, yeah, we're all here for horror. <laughs> uh, I am a Halloween fan. I have grown to appreciate all of them. Why? I don't know. Even, even some of the, the really bummer ones, I just, I'll still put them on and smile and Halloween kills. You know, this is, this is the stuff that I dreamed of uh, as a kid uh, with, with my buddy, Michael, and it's finally starting to come full circle. And to have me feel like I was 10 years old inside the movie theater, uh, having heart palpitations and everything at age 43 was, was very, uh, very fun. So I had to have it on my list and, uh, it, it got bumped off by, by two other movies. So Halloween kills number three. I'd have been disappointed, Greg, if this wasn't on your list somewhere. <laughs> and I, I thought for sure that your synopsis was just going to be screaming "Evil dies tonight." Now I, I wanted too to. far off. <laughs> no, I wanted to, but uh, it is just. I saw this twice in the theater, and I had a lot of fun with it too. Does it have its problems? It does, but I, you know, I actually enjoyed this one more than the 2018 film. To be honest, I think it. It gave me a little bit more of what I was looking for. Um, is it a smart film? I don't think so. But it uh, honestly, they kind of had me even after that opening uh, where you go back to Haddonfield. I mean, this is one pitched to the Halloween fans. I mean, if you're going to make movies and you know you have a fan base, you know, they kind of go for it. And for me, it worked. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. And it doesn't have its flaws. Absolutely. But it's one of those ones when you get one of the big franchises, you get psyched up and you just hope it lives up to what you want it to. And, you know, it's you get your popcorn. You're not going to be scared witless watching this, but at the same time, you want it to be a fun adventure. And that's kind of what this film was. You know, like it had some super kills. Uh, the, the whole Big John, Little John was hilarious, well-written. Uh, I thought they underused Will Patton. I thought his character could have been used a little bit more. 
that whole scene in the hospital, ugh, if that scene wasn't in there or written that way, I think it would have been higher on my list. But uh, I thought it was fun. And boy, can Michael Myers get involved in a street fight. He knows how to fight, you know. But Seriously, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll leave them next for Victor or Amanda what their thoughts are. But yeah, anybody that craps on it, you know what? Just if you're going to watch this kind of film, you put reality and logic away and just enjoy it. Really. Victor, what do you need to say about this one? I have not seen the new Halloween movie yet, believe it or not. Um, wow. Yeah, I refuse to get Paramount Plus. It's a personal thing. Um, <laughs> there is stuff I want to see on Paramount Plus, <laughs> but I am not paying for another streaming service if that's all they got on there. Oh, um, I hear you. I hear you. But um, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm, I'm really happy to hear you guys' reviews because I'm going to enjoy it when it eventually comes to HBO or Showtime. Which I was going to say, isn't isn't there a shortage of the the physical copy copy floating around? Because some people say they can't find it at at Best Buy or what have you. I think it's just because Walmart it's the first week and all the uh, Halloween freaks raced out and bought it. it there'll be more next oh, week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I have to say, I, I kind of agree. Um, I, I think I, I've enjoyed, I think I've seen all the Halloweens that were before this, and I've enjoyed pretty much all of them. And um, I'm, I'm also <laughs> in a very um, reviled opinion of, of holding the third one up very high in the uh, in the franchise like, that was one of my favorite ones probably my favorite one except for the first uh, you know the, the carpenter one me me too yeah the stash yeah. it's a great idea yeah. Yeah, yeah the stash is awesome as a kid that was scarier to me than michael myers because it's like your halloween mask will flipping kill you yeah yeah it's a really it's a great idea and it's got an also an awesome score yeah. <laughs> including that song <laughs> what'd you think of this one amanda this one i absolutely loved it it didn't make my list but i enjoyed it a lot i liked it a lot more than the first one but um this one more than more more than 78 no, I think she means 2018. Well, 2018. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I right. I agree with everything you were saying, Bill. The whole um, scene in the hospital where they were chasing the guy that looked like the penguin. That was just, exactly. they kind of lost me there. But um, I enjoyed the kills. Michael Myers, he was just brutal in this one. and um, He was in top form. Yes. He certainly was, and he does not like firemen for whatever reason. He does not like firemen. But um, I saw the extended cut the other night, and I saw. I think that that one flows a lot better than the theatrical. So, without giving away key plot points, what did the extended cut add to the experience or to the storyline? It doesn't add much. I think it's a total of six minutes that it adds. It's just. Certain scenes go on a little bit longer. We get um, another song from John Carpenter in the beginning. You, you see Michael Myers is um, kind of stalking around a little bit, and it just flows a lot better. That whole scene of the hospital leading up to it, you get a POV from the Penguin going into the hospital, and it just <laughs> it makes it flow a little bit better. I enjoyed the extended cut a lot more. Awesome. I'm looking forward to checking that that out, actually, the extended cut. Have you seen that yet, Greg? I have not seen the extended cut. 
it's a kind of a bummer that I didn't before this, but uh, nope. Uh, yeah, as for that shortage, I did experience that. Uh, somebody goes, I thought you pre-ordered it. And I go, you know what? It's one of those moments where I had it in the queue and I probably got distracted by one of my kids and never clicked buy now or whatever that. And I probably thought I did. And eh, it's, it's not a, many it, of those it, recently. It's, yeah, it's not a big deal for me, but it was just kind of comical when all of a sudden, you know, you do a search for, oh, is it shipping soon? I haven't got the notice yet. And all of a sudden you're like, I didn't even purchase it. It's still sitting right where I left it sweet don't worry in, in two weeks greg it'll be oh there. and for sure for sure for sure and and you know i mean reading some of the comments some of these guys i mean i'm a fan and i know that like greg amortis is a mega fan some of these people are absolutely insane they're buying like multiple copies of the same movie and i get it i love buying one of those blu-rays and getting a dvd and a digital copy i i i love the movie but i don't need it on three different forms some of these people they're buying like if it, just like four or five copies and they're yeah you three, think they're you your and, dad made the movie or something yeah. <laughs> and they're gonna and they're gonna you know and they're writing yeah this one's gonna remain sealed this is the one i'm gonna open and then i'm gonna open this one to compare and contrast if the if the 4k is better than the blu-ray or if the blu-ray is better than the 4k and i'm like that's just insanity to me but again i'm that's a look at this guys i'm just going to use this one for a coaster how does <laughs> exactly. that make you feel <laughs> exactly <laughs> like well hey more power to you if you got money to burn yeah. like that that's fine rock on <laughs> victor what's your <laughs> number 3 number 3 i have vicious fun nice um it was awesome like (laughs) i think it's a fantastic script uh just packed with references to it's it's basically a um it's a comedy but it's very gory uh and it's uh, not scary in the least um but you you really need to be prepared for some extremely gory scenes um but it references all kinds of serial killer movies um and it sort of makes fun of them but it also um carries its story forward and the main character is a horror journalist (laughs) who poses as a serial killer to be cool uh and ends up getting into this sort of uh serial killers killers anonymous (laughs) meeting uh and um it is hilarious uh it, it is directed with an insane amount of energy uh and um i can't recommend it more highly like i rarely like horror comedies and this is one of them that i was just so pleasantly surprised by um yeah it's a canadian movie uh i don't know how i heard of it i think i may have seen it on shutter but um yeah, highly recommended. Eight point five out of ten. Yeah, I I absolutely adore this film. This is such a a fun film, and I went in. I'd seen the poster around. I knew I had no idea it was a Canadian film. I I just thought it was a quirky, you know, comedy horror horror comedy, whichever order that's in. They usually either go one of two ways, like they really meld it well, or it's just stupid comedy. 
This one, I think, walked that line. And it has a good cast. I mean, you've got uh, David Kochner from uh, The Anchorman and The Office. You've You've got Robert Maillet, which is all over the place. He was in Becky. You've got an actor that I really like, Julian Richings. Yeah. As mm-hmm. as one of the he was in Cube and he was in a whole whack of things. Anything for Jackson. Anything for Jackson, exactly. And he plays a killer clown, which kind of adds to the it, it, it's funny. We talked about this the other day on uh, Land of the Creeps, and Dave goes, I could see myself getting in there, you know, and probably getting drunk. And I said, Dave, and you'd be projectile vomiting. That's also what you'd be doing. <laughs> It was an absolute ball. And I think it walked that fine line. It almost felt like a Vestron 6, but it wasn't. It just kind of had that feel to it. Yeah. I I just wanted to add Julian Richings as a clown (laughs) serial killer in such weird uh cast like you know the of of like actors that you know would lend themselves to like the creepy clown archetype like he would be right at the bottom of my list um but that's why it works that's why it's so well, funny the movie um, even knows that because you you're for certain he's a completely different archetype at first right uh, you haven't pegged this like the <laughs> Hannibal Lecter and suddenly he's like she just drops he likes to dress like a clown, and then he's putting on all the makeup <laughs> in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you think he's a, a Harvard professor. This is the most and, and, aptly you know, titled been... movie of the year, I think. <laughs> the Vicious Fun captures it perfectly, and it's it's got that like dynamic of like murder party, or even like Martin Scorsese's After Hours, where this hapless guy is just one more thing, and one more thing, and one more thing, <laughs> and you're like, are you going to survive, or Into the Night with Jeff Gold? I love those types of movies. And this D- one. Didn't the didn't the cops kind of hearken you back to Black Christmas? The guy in Black Christmas, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I think that that was kind of one of the homages. If I, it was, if there was anything that was a kind of a weakness for me, and this is more, of, this was me thinking I wanted to go in this direction. Not that this is true fault of the film. I kind of wanted to do a little bit more with the actual, like. uh anonymous meeting you know that the actual meeting that they show up with i think that was my only issue now the movie detours from that and the rest of that movie once it leaves that is still a ton of fun but it was such an intriguing concept i wanted to stay there just a little longer yeah i I expected it to go about an hour and then the second half only about a half an hour but it it cut off at maybe 40 minutes 45 minutes yeah yeah oh yeah Uh, amanda did you see this one I did. I enjoyed this one a lot. We got a lot of good horror comedies this year. We did, yeah. yeah. Greg, did you see this one? I did not. It's right in my wheelhouse. So everything that uh, you guys said on Land of the Creeps and now everything you guys are saying now just solidifies why didn't I see this sooner? But it will be... uh, I'll take uh, take it to note and get it watched really soon. And, and, and Greg, I mean, I don't know your wife at all, but this might be one you could watch with the wife. It's not over the top other than it's just silly. Okay. There is a good bit of gore, but I mean, I think in the context well, the, of the yeah. horror, it kind of, it's, it's all right. Yeah. And and don't beat yourself up too much, Greg, because I'm pretty sure that uh, Vicious Fun just showed up, at least for me, on my radar about like two weeks ago when, oh, okay. when Shudder dropped it. So <laughs> I think a lot of us are the same way. Like uh, I wasn't really on my radar per se before this. Yeah, good um, good pick with that one, uh, Victor. Amanda, what's your number three? My number three is Candyman. 
Nia DaCosta, she takes the lore and the legacy of what I consider to be a 90s classic and brings it to a whole nother level. The uh, look and style of this just blew me away. And um, from the shadow puppets to the most beautifully shot kills that I've ever seen, there's just a lot to love here. And uh, there's some really just gross body horror in this that I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting at all. And body horror is not my favorite genre. But um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, the third act kind of goes off the rails a little bit. But I think it all comes together nicely in the very end. And um, I'm hoping we'll get a sequel. I'm not sure if we will, but I'm open to it. So, Amanda, you are cordially invited to our Cronenberg episode, which will be happening. In <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I can't make it through the fly. Yeah, oh, I... my goodness. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is so how funny. Brundlefly eats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, that, I don't think we have much more to add to that, but that's an awesome pick. It's a fantastic movie. Bill, your number three. Right. So my number three is one I actually rewatched uh, this week because I had originally seen it, I don't know, back in March or April, I'm going to say, and I just wanted to refresh my brain on it. And it, it, it held up. And that is 2021's, obviously, Jacob's Wife. Oh, oh yeah. It, and Jacob's wife, I, I, I want to, I don't know if I should tiptoe around what everything becomes because they kind of give it away on the poster. But here's the description on IMDb. Anne, married to a small town minister, feels her life has been shrinking over the past 30 years. Encountering the master brings her a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder. However, the change comes with a heavy body count. This is a lot of fun, this film. Uh, it stars a couple names that you will know. Uh, Barbara Crampton, who's an industry veteran who's been in a lot of good films. Larry Fessenden, who I don't think he needs much to be spoken about. The guy's a fun actor. Uh, also in the cast is Robert Russler, who you would know from some uh, 80s films. And CM Punk is in the film. So... Larry Fessenden is a pastor in a small town, small town, USA, Midwestern America. And his wife is Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton is a designer. She gets a, a contact to go meet with someone about, they want to redesign an, uh, an older building in town. Turns out it's being developed by her old flame from high school who went away. And so she goes there, and let's just say so there's some hoochie-coochie goes on. But so do other things. And she develops a personality that is not to the norm of her. And Larry Fessenden notices, starts to investigate, and it goes down a path that I don't know if you saw coming, but if you see the poster, you might. I'm being vague on purpose. It sounds like I'm being a little bit dumb about this, but if you haven't seen it, I want you to experience it for the first time. Fessenden is Fessenden. He's always kind of got that frenetic energy that he's, it's weird seeing him without a mustache. I will tell you that, but he is got energy. He's almost the, the voice of reason in this film, which is weird talking about Larry Fessenden being the voice of reason. Barbara Crampton's good. I will say that you see some, 
unexpected nudity uh, in this film. You, you see Larry Fessenden's backside, which I did not expect coming. And you see uh, a breast pop out, which I didn't see coming. It, that's neither here nor there. I found it a fun film. I kind of like where it went. Going in blind, I didn't know what to expect. I really, really enjoyed this film. I don't know what you guys thought about this one. Yeah, we reviewed this one back in the on on the podcast back. I think you're right, uh, yep. Bill. Probably back in April. And what struck me then, and I and I did a recent rewatch. Uh, struck me again, which is as the movie develops, the relationship uh, or lack thereof in the beginning between Fessenden and Crampton as this married couple that are in the church. Uh, it just keeps developing in different ways, and it's so the heart of the movie that for this horror film that almost to me has almost you know crampton was obviously one of Stuart gordon's go-tos but this movie maybe more than many of the others that come out recently is the most since gordon's passing that feels like it could have been potentially directed by him and it might have been a little Hmm. crazier had it been directed by him but this idea that right alongside these really grotesque gory sequences you have some really um, interesting character dynamics. Some of the most interesting scenes in this movie are Fessenden and Crampton coming to grips with their relationship based on uh, being pulled into it by this other supernatural or or unnatural goings ons. And there's a point when the uh, interesting Fessenden isn't Fessenden isn't playing a sleaze bag pretending to be a pastor as he probably could have been. He's playing a guy who's legitimately blindsided by what's going on and doesn't. Has law it doesn't know what to do until he finds out that hey maybe this may you know maybe this isn't my wheelhouse I'm a pastor right I'm a I'm a, I'm a servant of God I can, I could do I could do this and uh, it goes some pretty funny places it's kind of all over the map sometimes and I, if I have any complaints just I wish the movie had found a way to continue to follow them it, like it it kind of keeps going off to the side with some of the horror things and I just wanted to see see them a little bit more as the, as the movie was reaching its conclusion. Victor, did you see this one? Yes, I did. Um, yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah, there is another movie that stars Fessenden as sort of in a straight man role. Uh, and I can't remember, but it's really kind of neon psychedelic movie. It's kind of a road picture. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? <laughs> Not offhand. I, I, yes. I don't know all of his. Um, I'll get back to you. <laughs> but I know but, what yeah. you're talking um, about. It's... Anyway, yeah, he's good in that too. But yeah, uh, no, totally agree. I like this I like this movie quite a bit. Barbara Crampton, yeah. I, I know I've read that she aged out of the typical roles that she had. And uh, then I think with your next uh, made a big comeback and now she's being cast all over the place again. (laughs) And I think the irony of it is she still looks way younger than she actually is. She doesn't look that different than she did in reanimator. She's still doing the same kind um, of scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Ironically covered in blood and naked. Yeah, and she's still a fearless horror movie performer. So yeah, she's great in this. Um, yeah, it was a cool, uh, a cool variation of a, a you know a, a story that you've kind of seen before. But yeah, it's worth seeing for sure. Greg, did you see this one? You got me on another one, Bill. Darn tootin'. But <laughs> in my defense, this is one of those that just rides right in the background in your queue. 
And it's like, it, it always came off as a mood movie. And I just was like, I'm just not in the mood. I don't, I, I'm just sorry, Jacob's wife. I'm just not ready for you yet. And of course <laughs> I just kept pushing it off. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you really start getting towards the end of the year, it's like, oh crap you know so the, that list gets bigger and bigger it's like i know that i got them all and then you see it and you're like oh i have to get to that one but then something else pops up so i will get to it this I would, will get to it this would this would make a good double bill with vicious fun oh boy it yeah. really would you put them back to back it would be a good night greg just kept using the i've got a headache excuse you know <laughs> sorry i'm washing my hair i'm washing my hair sorry uh victor the movie you're talking about is only a switch with Fest oh movie. yeah only a switch yeah which is a crazy <laughs> movie too uh yes. so 2018 I, amanda did you see jacob's wife i did um i like this one a lot i thought it was a lot of fun and um there's a scene in particular where larry fesson is in the parking lot at the church and these teenagers start <laughs> messing with him oh my goodness it's so funny he's it, it's just so <laughs> yeah. different seeing him in this kind of role he usually plays like the dirt bag but um, I really enjoyed it, and I loved Barbara Crampton in this. I, I got to say, Crampton looks great. She really did look great in this. And there is some good blood. I, I, I kind of avoided that. But there is, for the situations they're put into, there is some good physical blood that's a practical effect. There's as much really. blood in this as Stuart Gordon would have used. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> that's a high compliment, I think. Yeah. Um, so what are we transitioning to next, Nathan? What are we? So we are in number three. Number three for me is a movie that it took me it, it took me twice to see it. I saw it actually last year at Sundance, but it did ultimately receive a, uh, a legitimate review, uh, release here in the States, uh, I think back in May. This is In the Earth, Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. And uh, it's one of those films that was filmed kind of right in the middle of the pandemic and a lot of the movies as we know that were filmed during the pandemic were very close quarters in your houses or sometimes you know look at maybe like host a zoom meeting and uh in the earth it definitely has almost that the early going has a, a very kind of naturalistic camera held feel but it delves right out into the wilderness and the basic plot is as a deadly virus ravages the world dr martin lowry embarks on a mission to reach test site A2U327A, a research hub deep in the arboreal forest. The arduous journey, guided by Park Scout Alma, is set back by a nightmare, set back by a nighttime attack that leaves the two bruised and shoeless. When they run into Zach, a man living off the grid, they gratefully accept his help. Zach's intentions aren't exactly what they seem, however, and a path out of the forest and into safety quickly fades as the line between myth and science blurs. That line between myth and science is where I thought this movie really excelled. It does become a very trippy movie. Ben Wheatley, who directed the wonderful Kill List and the pretty bizarre and trippy folk horror movie Field in England. Uh, those are probably, yes. I, I, I've loved everything Wheatley's done. I think those two movies are, I, I see as maybe the heights of what he's done so far. Um, and I put in the earth right there. I think this movie's fascinating. It does take a little bit to get going. But it does get visceral. Not a, it, there are some uncomfortable sequences involving violence that that made me wince more than most of the blood and gore we've talked about in the film so far. Uh, there's some some foot trauma that was very uh, 
very unsavory. <laughs> but when this movie starts to get into its sort of, uh, I think, Victor, we do end up in the new weird territory pretty heavily here in this mm. film. And this is another movie that combines beautiful sound design and visuals and performances in a way where the last third of this becomes so sort of otherworldly without using a bunch of visual effects that I started to feel, you know, kind of uh, unmoored by what was going on. I really felt kind of like under the influence of this film in a sense. And I loved it. I thought that it took its mythology and it kind of kept uh, inserting it into the storyline and into the film in such a way where you're feeling it more than just hearing about it. And it has some weird moments where you, it ties itself to some of Wheatley's other work. They are referencing that, uh, some of these uh, researchers are have been uh, kind of delving into the history of this area and this, and that there were standing stones here and that there was an alchemist back in the day that had been involved in some pretty strange goings-ons. And you know what? That's exactly <laughs> what A Field in England was about. And to the point where we get Reese Shearsmith is back here as another unhinged character. It's a toss-up. You could throw a coin to decide whether his character Field in England or this guy uh, which one's a little bit more um, uh, off the rails, but I loved this movie. I, I really liked it on first viewing, but I knew it kind of needed to sit with me a little bit. And going back to it, it's the sensory experience of it, while also being a movie that plants ideas in your head that, that don't leave you, that you continue to think about. And it's very rare for me to have the movie that is the, I just want to put this on and experience it. And it's also the one that I, I have something to chew on afterwards. So I loved in. Uh, in the earth. Yeah. I, uh, I adore this film. I think it's a fantastic film. Ben Wheatley, anybody that hasn't dealt with Ben Wheatley, he's an experience. I'll just put it at that. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> it, it you know, and it, and it kind of starts, you know, these guys go to this, uh, a logging cottage, you know, because they have scientific reasons to be there and they're kind of sought out, but it takes place during a pandemic time. So it's, it's very uh, newsworthy at that point. You're, it's very relatable. And the, the, the way that the stories get kind of get in your craw and they take you on a journey and you see these things out in the forest yeah, I, and there's a certain scene with a mist and a fog. I, yeah, I, I don't want to say a lot more, but yeah, you got to experience this film. All Victor? right. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll check it out. I have not seen it yet, and um, oh, this I'm, is I'm up really not. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, I'm not a real a big Ben Wheatley fan. I weirdly, I really liked Sightseers, but um, I've seen a few of his movies and I really didn't like any of them. Um, Field of England was, we, Field in England was was just bizarre because, it, I mean, it's definitely an art film um, and the scenes themselves were very charming, but I I always leave his moving, movies going, what? Like, what, what was that supposed to mean? <laughs> Um, I can't promise but, uh, you won't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I can't promise it. <laughs> in this context, like, you know, with, with weird stuff, like I'm kind of used to, to kind of thinking more deeply into it uh, because I read a lot of short stories that are, yeah. you know, in that vein. So I might like this. So I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, it's, it's, you guys made it sound pretty sexy. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll check it out. 
And Victor, if you're paying attention, which I know you do, you're a smart movie watcher, there is a link to the location of a field in England to this film. Cool. And definitely one thing you'll pay attention to, since you live in the high house in the mist, there is some <laughs> mist in this movie that plays that plays, <laughs> that plays key. And what a, what a great scene that yeah, is! I love is. that scene. Greg, is there anything else you want to talk about this? No, one? you guys nailed it. It's a it was definitely on my radar for a while. Uh, ben Wheatley is always high on that list. He's he's one of those guys just to keep an eye on because um, he does. He makes those movies that are just right outside the box and then it makes you think outside the box. And so um, it's a, it's it's an elevated horror that's always worthwhile. Amanda, what do you have a point of view on this film? Um, this one, I, I loved it a lot. I really did. I like that um, eco horror is kind of having a moment right now. Because we, we got quite yes. a few this year, and I'm really enjoying that. And also, um, I like the mixture of folk, folk horror in there as well. Yeah, it's kind of a nice mishmash of that, of a little bit of a trippy film, sensory, you know, don't mess with Mother Nature. There's a lot of that in that film. Victor, <laughs> did you see They Remain? Yes. And did you like it? No. <laughs> See, there were a lot of things I liked about the film, that film. Yeah, me too. But I yeah. feel like In the Earth is sort of Ben Wheatley looking at that movie and kind of going for it. You know, I felt like They Remain was like, here's the curtain. There's something cool behind the curtain, but no, you can't pull it back. And uh, yeah. I, I feel like what Wheatley's doing here is trying to kind of take you directly in there and say, hey, look. I still don't know what this means, but hey, look. That's cool. I, I would like that. Yeah, I in uh, or um, they remain um, just. I, I think what what I thought was really cool about that film is that it looks like a, a, a regular budget movie, but <laughs> it becomes pretty obvious that they have zero budget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in that way, I thought it was very creative. Um, so I, I liked it for that, but I ultimately I was like, yeah, I, I wish I had done something else with that 90 minutes. Yeah. I admire what they were doing more than the experience of watching that film. But I think in the earth for me in the earth, like nailed it, brought it home and made it something that to, like you said, a few minutes ago, I can see this being a short story, you know, like a Laird Baron story or something like that and getting into it. And yep. yet Wheatley's got to do it in a sensory way. He does. Cool. cool. I, yeah. I got to watch this film after two gummies. Now I want to watch it. <laughs> he does the work for you. You don't need any gummies. I mean, he, he ate the whole bag and then made the movie for you. So, uh, Greg, what's your number two movie of number the year? Number two. All right. This one, I don't know. I'm afraid that now I'm going for it. It's it's there. Do it. An aspiring go for it. An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. Edgar Wright's instant classic for me: Last Night in Soho. I I just uh just a a dazzling treat of eye candy. Um, 
Poe, the the two main actresses crush it. Uh, a long time, even though she is uh, much older than I am, uh, D- Diane Rigg, um, she is spectacular with her role. Um, this is just one that uh, just waited for, and once it once I got to see it, it's it's it was one that I wanted to get right back into the theater and watch again because I just don't know how or why I got so lost with the movie, but I just did. It was entrancing. Um, it's, and it's spooky, even though I, I think it's more horror adjacent when I start thinking about it and then I go, no, it's horror. And then I'm like, no, it's this, no, it's that. So I had to get it on my list though. And it just kept going up when I compiled my list even above Halloween kills. So last night of Soho, <laughs> number two. They both deal with the night. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There, there you go, Bill. The, a very unusual <laughs> thing for horror films to involve. <laughs> <laughs> no, excellent. I, I, excellent I gonna, choice. I was going to say, I can't disagree with you. Yeah. It's, it's got, it kind of ticks all those boxes in an, in an unusual, non straightforward way. Yeah, absolutely. Victor, your yeah, number. Well, he, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say you screwed me again, Ben. <laughs> sorry, cause... I benched you, man. I benched you. <laughs> <laughs> I got benched. That's my number two. Um, last night in Soho. Okay, so what I think is so cool about this movie, it, besides it has an awesome soundtrack uh, from one of the best periods of rock music uh, in history, um, but. Uh, there are movies that were made in that period in like the mid to late sixties coming out of England, like hammer films and other studios that are very much structured like this, like this movie. So it's a mystery for the first sort of two acts and then all hell breaks loose and it becomes a supernatural horror movie. Um, but I, I think that the, the homage, uh, you know, sort of part of, of this made it rise to the very top of um, Edgar Wright movies that I've seen. This is my favorite that he's done so far. And I thought it was a brilliant idea, uh, excellent period, um, something you don't really think of with horror, but um, by show me, showing kind of the the seamy underside of that period and, and like all the nightclubs and stuff like that, that's going on. I thought was a really cool idea and um, yeah, perfectly cast uh, really loved it. And um, yeah, definitely uh, don't turn it off when the credits start because they have that song last night in Soho by, let's see if I can get this right. <laughs> Dave D Dozy Beaky Mitch and Titch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a great song. So anyway, highly recommend it. Yeah, 8.5 out of 10. Awesome. Amanda, your number two? My number two is Maximiliano Contenti's The Last Matinee. Um, this nice. is one I reviewed on the podcast back in September. And even then I had a pretty good idea that it was going to end up in my top 10 where I didn't know, but I knew it was going to definitely be on there somewhere. Um, I absolutely adore this movie and I think it's, it's a love letter to horror fans and it's just, it's so beautiful. 
And I, I'm really happy that it's getting the love that it deserves because I'm seeing it pop up in so many top 10 lists and so many people are talking about it now. And that just makes me so happy. Yeah, and it's such yeah. a good movie. And like I say, it became on my radar once you mentioned it. And uh, any movie that can make you know uh, eyeball socket holes beautiful, you know, <laughs> got to give it some credit. I, I'm literally dying to see this film. It's right up your alley, Bill. I'm not helping things by pointing that out, but it is. I'm ready just to send Bill a copy. I mean, you still have something that plays physical media, right? Yes, okay. yes, I do. <laughs> that, yeah, that's uh, I when you recommended it way back when I looked and it, I don't have Shutter, so I don't, so I don't have any other access to it. So I'm just waiting for some streaming it's service. Prime. Around, so. I know it's on um, Showtime. It's Showtime right now. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, arrow um the arrow app or the arrow channel which is actually very very cool uh it has it on there right now too so yeah. um, well i before the end of the year my uh mission will be to see the last matinee so i will take this and this is when i was surprised that made it this high on my list but when i went back in on letterboxd and looked at all my ratings it was that high and and now i kind of realized why and this is one that, again, I, I tend to take films that some people will really like and then others people will be like poo-pooing on it. And this is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah. It's it's uh, The Warrens, you know, Ed and Lorraine Warren. I wasn't, a, I really liked the first one. I wasn't a huge fan of number two. I found number two a little bit fantastic. So this one I liked because, uh, for those of you who don't know, I do have a legal background. I have um, a paralegal degree. So... I really like the aspect of this case. This was the first case in America where somebody used the defense of a possession as a defense. And ultimately, I won't tell you what happens because I want you to watch the film. But the Warrens come in because a, a boy has had a possession, has had an entity put into himself as a result of... A, an ex not an exorcism, but an event that happened in a family home. And the events play out where the Lorraine, the Lauren, the Warrens are brought in to try to deal with the situation. And I, I thought of the three films, I thought this was Patrick Wilson's strongest of the three. Hmm. I thought he was really good in this one. And I, I thought the characters were pretty well drawn out. And while the case does seem a bit, fantastic it is based in reality my one downfall to this film i found was if it's based on a court case there should have been more court case shown i would love to have seen more of in the courtroom of this taking yeah. place but i do think that it was well done i thought it was well written it had some gore there it had some interesting intrigue because patrick wilson carried this more than vera did in this one uh, I thought Vera was in the, in the movie, she was dealing with some health issues and Patrick Wilson had to be the Ed Lorraine, uh, Ed Warren had to take it. So I, I really think uh, of the three, I don't know. I can argue the first is the best, but I thought this is a strong second. I thought this one surpassed the, the second film. I don't know what you guys thought of the conjuring. The devil made me do it. 
Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I I felt that the script could have used another pa- could have used another pass to make it a little more um, uh, you know, more just sort of t- uh, tighter with its use of words. I, I just felt like some lines could have been edited out and it, it wouldn't have affected the story at all. But um, you know, I'm not complaining because I enjoyed it and it was on HBO Max. You know, they released it simultaneously the way they do, and um, I I liked watching it the day of release uh, at home. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. There's, there's this Marvel comic of Spider-Man that everybody like Spider-Man fans constantly quote to me. It was like, Oh, there's the one where where Peter Parker had the flu and he still has to fight the the green goblin. And um, that kind of reminds me of this movie in, in the fact that uh, you know uh, the, the main, the main guy, um, Ed Warren, uh, has to deal with a heart condition, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, all the challenges that are put before him, which are the usual type of challenges, are made doubly difficult by the fact that, you know, if he strains himself too hard, he's going to kill himself. Um, so that was a level of intensity that I appreciated in the film. But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was decent. I liked it. It's a conjuring movie. It's not as scary as the first one, but. I, I enjoyed it. I was entertained by it. And we had reviewed this back in the day, Bill, you know, back of the summer. Yeah. Uh, and I remember really enjoying it then. And uh, for me, despite, regardless of what anyone might think of the real life Warrens, I think the the casting here for Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson was so right on. And I kind of got the feeling early after really enjoying the first one and, and enjoying the second one, that they were eventually going to run into a problem where the, the reality that these two actors playing these two characters who are in also real life people eventually he was going to crash into the fact that they're going to be more interesting than the supernatural case that they come up against <laughs> and for me that's kind of what happened here i some ways i think this would have been a stronger movie and you kind of alluded to it i think this has been a stronger movie that had not necessarily had to wear the mantle of the conjuring knowing that it needs a certain amount of jump scares needs a certain amount of this kind of effect or this sort of scene and this sort of musical score um, had it leaned in to the the cases and it leaned into the courtroom drama and it leaned into <laughs> essentially if it had become an episode of the x-files if it had <laughs> if it had done you can see my theme here if you could done all of those things those characters are so compelling the way they're played here and knowing that Ed Warren's health issues eventually reach a peak and he does, you know, he does pass away that knowing that the movies were eventually going to have to deal with it. I was very satisfied with how they dealt with it here. And I'd love to see John Noble, by the way, anytime John Noble shows up and he does show up here, but the the, the plotting of the supernatural stuff and, and trying to meet the fan base was kind of where it let me down a little bit. I, I was really enjoying the characters of the Warrens and trying to work on this case that I like, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. Amanda, did you see this one? I did. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Conjuring movies, but unfortunately this one just didn't do it for me. It's probably my least favorite out of the the main three. Um, I did enjoy the performances of um, Vera Famiga and, and Patrick Wilson. They're great as always. It's just, I don't know, for some reason, just so, it was felt like it was missing something. And maybe it was because James Wan wasn't directing. Maybe that could be it. 
I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, I, I still liked it. Greg, did you see this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I too am on that side of the coin where I found enjoyment. It, I didn't go too deep into it. It kind of was all for face value. Um, I really like the appearance of Lord Denethor, King Denethor. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because anytime I see that guy, it goes right to it goes right to his that role. Even though I've seen him in, you know, other movies and television shows, but um, I did like it that it had some kind of a mystery to it and a little aspect of you don't want to say a who done it, but it, it was like who's responsible for all this. And as that story unfold, uh, it was a simple story, but yet I I, I felt very effective with. Uh, with a grand payout in the end. So I did enjoy it. Um, it's, it's not uh, as high as the first one. And then between the second and third, I'd still probably have to lean with the second one just because of uh, some of the secondary characters that are uh, uh, introduced in that one. So, but definitely enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me is I'm not a big supernatural guy. So when one kind of stands out, it usually stands out more than maybe it should appropriately. And I, I think that probably played into it for me. Hmm. All right. So Nathan, what's your runner up? You mean my number two? Your number two, your runner up, right? <laughs> runner up to the number one, I guess. Sure. That's uh, it. Yeah. So my number two movie is a real, uh, I, I think, in some ways divisive because there's a lot of people that would see it and it just be like, I have no idea what I just watched. Why did you tell me to watch this? I will never listen to you again. And then I probably the same amount of people that were like, this was amazing. I don't know why something's wrong with me, but I thought this was great, you know, kind of thing. And it was a one of the wildest rides I had at a theater uh, in, in terms of tonal shifts, in terms of what was happening, in terms of what the movie was making me think and feel at any given moment. A really wild, wild ride. Uh, this is uh, Titan, uh, 2021, directed by Julia DeCornu uh, and her follow-up to uh, Raw. And this, such a such a strange movie. I love... Why did you make me watch this? Why did you make me yeah, watch this? I know, this? I heard from you, Bill. Uh, <laughs> I love, by the way, the synopsis that they have here on Letterboxd. You talk about IMDb, get this. Following a series of unexplained crimes, a former firefighter is reunited with his son, who has been missing for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who has seen that, that's it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is such a strange experience. I do completely understand everybody who sort of sees it and is like, that just it was not satisfying to me. Uh, it feels, honestly, we've talked about movies that keep switching from one dynamic to another this movie could be about three different genres uh but but not necessarily all at once literally swapping and 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 moving to something else and yet it does so with this there is an undercurrent where the movie keeps flowing all the way through and it begins opens up with the scene of a young girl experiencing a car crash that leaves her with a trauma and a sort of mental disposition where she is seemingly uh, you know, attracted to uh, to things that are that are that are metal that are automated to vehicles. It seems, and uh, you know, we jump forward and we see her 
in a job where she's basically rolling around, you know, white snake style in the front of front of cars in a sort of a car show uh, scenario. And when this movie opens up, uh, it's it's just crazy because we're very firmly in horror, uh, sort of very visceral horror territory in the beginning. And uh, Agatha Russell, who plays uh, Alexia, who who is the girl that's experienced this trauma, has this kind of plate in her head and has had this weird proclivity. You see how that's played out in her day-to-day life. And very quickly, it takes a very dark turn. It escalates so quickly that you're wondering how the movie's going to keep this pace up. About 20 minutes in, it's gone completely insane. And then it takes a turn and it heads in a different direction and it taps in to one of the most strange and yet consistently compelling relationship dynamics because uh, I almost don't want to get into it too much, but it involves uh, a situation where Agatha basically has to abandon her current life and pick up another life where she's pretending to be someone else. And she ends up in this uh, relationship uh, where she is basically pretending to be someone else's uh, child. And uh, Vincent Legrand, who plays the, uh, uh, the the firefighter that was in that synopsis, this man who mm-hmm. thinks for a moment that he has his child back, uh, and the way that relationship develops, it's very compelling. Now, I haven't mentioned anything about the, uh, I you know, I guess we could can we call it auto eroticism? <laughs> it's auto eroticism. <laughs> there's some sort there's of some car, uh, some car sex going on, like. You know, it's there's there, there's leaking of oil. The, the, yeah, so I don't want to go, <laughs> but yes, there are, uh, there's a very bizarre scene that, that taps into almost magical realism and nightmare imagery and all and in Cronenberg areas, and then we see the fallout from that, and yet this movie continues to drive home the emotional uh, relationships and and the characters headspaces and it's continually about that what's well, also this very bizarre body horror story going on it's dovetailing all this stuff together it still has seen time for some very bizarre sequences i've never seen anyone sort of do a uh, gender fluid strip tease on the front of a fire truck to uh like a uh sort of dubstepped, you know, 1680s him before, but I did in this movie. Um, <laughs> completely strange, completely compelling to me. Honestly, I was uh, so invested in the characters here that the weirdness eventually just sort of roll over me in waves. I think Titan's honestly one of the best movies of the year. It's completely perplexing in some ways, but it's also, to me, dramatically satisfying. It's my number two. Yeah, Victor, I, I'm very curious your point of view on this one. Yeah, uh, that's my favorite horror movie of the year. Um, I thought it was absolute masterpiece. Um, I it, it was it's either I think it's a, either Alfred Hitchcock or Brian De Palma who said in the first few frames of the first scene of the movie, you can pretty much tell what the movie is going to be about. It's, it's like an overture is to an opera. Like they'll, they'll kind of hint at all the things that are going to happen. And that scene where the, the, you know, the, the young girl is driving in, in the backseat uh, of, of, or she's a passenger in the backseat and her father's driving and she's making this annoying sound and, and uh, causing him to look back and, and tell her to shut up. 
Uh, that was so good. It, that's my one complaint is that the rest of the film doesn't quite measure up to that first scene, but um, it, it is exactly what the film is about. She's got a fraying relationship with her father and um, she gets into an accident. She gets a, uh, a, t- a t- what, how do you call Titan in, uh, in English? Titanium. Yeah, titanium. yeah a, a titanium plate in her head. Uh, and that is just the beginning of her finding her true identity uh, because I think it's, it's a horrorized version of like uh, body dysmorphia or, you know, maybe a trans experience where you're like, wow, you know, nothing out there in the world is me. So I have to make my own life. And then going back to what you said, Nathan, it, it, she's got to play a role in the family of this firefighter who is looking for his lost son, um, as described. Uh, and, um, yeah, there are some body horror moments in this movie that are, insane where like I almost had to look away yes. uh, and they're just very painful to watch. Um, Julia Ducourneau seems particularly talented at showing those things, but still eroticizing it in a, in a weird way. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any other voice like hers out there. And I, I think she's batting a thousand. Like I've loved both of her movies um, and this, this was tremendous. I just was riveted from start to finish. Yeah. This is a, for anybody out there, this is a very different film. <laughs> yep. uh, let's, let's just put it that way. It, it starts out, I wouldn't say a traditional horror, but it's got a horror vibe to it and it's got some violent scenes. It's got a great scene inside an apartment uh, it's got a great scene at the beginning involving a fan who wants to talk to her. And and then it goes somewhere else. It, it, I almost felt a little bit of David Lynch at, at times of, of the, you know, you're watching a racer head and it's kind of like, huh? And there are moments of this where you're kind of going, huh? But it's, it's more of a family drama d- dynamic at points. I, again, I'm, I'm stepping around a few things. Uh, there's some of that autoeroticism with Cronenberg and Crash. Uh, there's an inter- very interesting relationship between her and the new father. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, they get rough with each other in the living room. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I don't know about you two, and I've discussed this with uh, Nathan and anybody else that's seen it. I won't give away what it is. But does the ending lend itself to a possible sequel? <laughs> yes. It's an Optimus Prime origin story. <laughs> yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Amanda, did you see this one? I did see it. And I I love the first half of this movie when she's going on a rampage and just killing everyone. I thought it was fantastic. But then it just totally shifts and it turns into this really bizarre drama. And I really just didn't know what to make of it from there. I am going to give it a second viewing to see if maybe I, you know, my opinion changes a little bit. But it just kind of caught me off guard how it's almost like two separate films. But um, I did enjoy it. I mean, I liked it. I still have no idea what I saw. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's definitely worth a watch. And I do appreciate that this year we've got such wide variety of movies 
in so many movies that just have that WTF ending that you just you just don't know what to make of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's this movie. <laughs> Greg, did you see this one? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, I'm curious. What do you think of this? Buddy? I I will. I'll tell you what I think of this. Yes. I got benched. That's what. That's ah! what. That's what happened here. <laughs> is I got benched by by Nathan and by Vicious, and this is my number one. So I'm just gonna go for it. And oh, and okay. Uh, yes, indeed. I have struggled for the last few hours looking for a good summary for this movie because i knew it was my number one letterbox got you covered man oh it does not (laughs) but i did i did find a single sentence that was uh uh, probably about as perfect as it as, as it can be and that is a woman who has a metal plate in her head embarks on a bizarre journey that sums up this movie brilliantly and like vicious said uh, Julia Ducanau is just crushing it. I was so surprised by Raw. It was one of my favorite movies of of that year, and it's it's in my favorite for that decade. And here, I had zero hope because I'm like, this is her sophomore movie. There's, you know, it's not going to compare to Raw. So just go in, don't read anything, don't do anything, be calm, take a breath, relax. And just like what Vicious said, in the first two minutes of the movie, I'm like at the edge of the seat watching and the autoeroticism. I'm like, I've gone to car shows. I've been to professional car shows. (laughs) And I'm like, is this what happens after hours that maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe I should make sure that my windows are closed and locked. And yeah, I don't know. This, this is, this is kind of this is bizarre. And then it's just like what Amanda said, it goes off the rails. And I'm like, this is this. You never want to say this is great, but this is great. This whole sequence (laughs) inside the house was like, you know, captivating, you know, I'm, I'm holding my breath because it's like, it's the unknown. And here's this woman that's in the unknown. And I would have like ran to the Hills. If I saw any of this going on, What's she do? Not she goes full throttle up the stairs all around. Nobody can stop her, and then she has to go into hiding. and And I just thought it was, uh, just a beautiful shot movie, well executed. And I had, <laughs> I didn't think it could do it, but it knocked it knocked Halloween down a notch. And then uh, last night at Soho slipped right in. So this is my number one Titan. That's so awesome. I'm so happy. I thought I was going to be alone, honestly. <laughs> oh, you know, I just wanted to add, uh, yeah, the, the woman that played Alexia, uh, Agatha Roussel. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was apparently found on Instagram. Like, she's an Instagram model, and uh, Ducourneau just thought she had a great look. And it's true that she doesn't say much, um, but she does a lot of physical acting in, in this she movie does. she's fantastic she has to have a transformation yeah. there that's in not the transformation you probably think i'm talking about but the one midway through the film uh yeah she's amazing oh. she's amazing in the film yeah. 
Okay. Okay. So we can go on from here to Victor. What is your number well, one? We go to Amanda, right? It's oh, then. <laughs> oh, I guess. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Amanda, your number one movie of the year horror movie. So my number one movie is Last Night in Soho. Yes. Um, I know there's debate on whether or not this is considered a horror movie, but uh, I think it, it is a slow burn. It takes a while, but it eventually gets there. You know, especially towards the end when we get to that scene in the library. But um, I, I really enjoyed this movie. The music and the, the fashion and just the performances. Um, I think that this is uh, Edgar Wright's masterpiece. I absolutely adored this movie. And I can't wait to see it again. So, yeah, thanks for that, Amanda. I, I can't argue with you because my number one is Last Night in Soho. Yay, yeah, it's a, it's a coronation. It's everybody has it. In, I was going to say everybody has it in the top three, at least. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I can't bring upon anything that everyone else has said, except for I liked how stylish it was. And it, it kind of all I loved a movie. I love a movie where you kind of follow the story. And this one kind of had the duality of present time and the 1967 London. And you had to follow back. And I'm a big fan of that era. So you got to see the fashion. You got to hear the music. Matt Smith, you didn't know whether he was a good guy or a douchebag. Yeah. And you had to kind of play that out. And you had to deal with, um, oh, who's the actor there? The, uh, the, the uh, officer. Terrence uh, Stamp. Terrence Stamp. Oh, yeah. Terrence Stamp. And you had to figure out what his role would be because he ultimately, I, I had to ask Nathan, wh where does he play in? Because, you know, it's alluded to, but then you have to connect your dots. I like it that you don't, it doesn't spoon feed you this film. You have to do a lot of dot connecting, but you like the story as it goes. So at first, I was thinking about this film and I was thinking, okay, it's going to be more in the fantasy realm. This is going to be an other. Until the third act kicks in. And no, no, no. It's got the horror element to it. I could legitimately see where somebody could make the argument and say it's not a horror. I will disagree with you there. I think the storytelling is fantastic. I think the acting is fantastic. I think the music is fantastic. A great role for Diana Rigg. I thought she, you know, she still looks great and she can still act. And I think this is a film that if you haven't seen, you really need to. Anya Taylor-Joy, I think, gave it her all in this and she was top of the mark in this film um yeah it's my number one film of the year okay so i guess it's my time for number one horror movie of the year right so which what? asylum film is yeah, it yeah which is it, it's ouija's <laughs> <laughs> no it's the last night in soho um yeah all oh, right there you go. yeah uh, and I'm so happy to see all the love for all these weirdo movies. <laughs> that's why. That's why I handpicked all of you, everyone here. I knew that they had the same sensibilities. Um, and, and half of the movies I saw are because one of one of the four of you recommended them to me. So this movie was great. I agree, Edgar Wright's masterpiece uh, thus far. I love too that he has a very specific style, and it's not that his style is not present here. But I think he really does make a movie that looks different and even in some ways sounds different than the movies he's made before. The music's still a big part of it. But it he yeah. and he's not just doing a straight homage to Giallo's or the movies of the 60s. 
uh, that's there. But he, he takes so many different pieces and builds this world that you really want to be in, even though some dark and terrible things are happening in it. Uh, it's, you know, you don't necessarily adore it in the same way that the protagonist does, where she wants, you know, I want so much to be, you know, in the 60s. At first you do, and then you realize the dark edges that this world has. And I've got to say that I I think Wright does a really good job of putting you in the perspective of these characters and doing it in such a way that the story does flip. And there is a strong sympathy. I thought Anya Taylor-Joy, I've loved her in most of everything she's been in. And I, I, she's been wonderful in you know The Witch and King uh, Queen's Gambit and all of these movies and TV shows that she's done. And she's wonderful here. But for me, it was Thomasine McKenzie, who I thought uh, shined the most. And she's so good. And she's so uh, endearing, I think, in her role here. And the the main thing I, I have here, when people talk about, okay, is it a horror movie, not a horror movie? I feel like that's primarily coming from the fact that if this movie were a slow burn, that kind of was just sort of smoldering away and setting up ambience and atmosphere for that third act, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. And we got to that third act. People would say it's definitely a horror movie. They might not like it as much, but, you know, and then if I'm being honest, one of the things I've had issues with some of the recent indie horror movies, people may be saying, but Nathan, you put lamb on your list, is that we are getting a lot of movies that feel almost like sort of, uh, they're very thin on plot. They're ambient mood pieces that are prepping you for a last third that goes crazy or then takes the horror and makes it real. I think one of the reasons people are saying this isn't a horror film is it actually has other things it's doing to, until you get to that horror. Uh, I went to see this, actually, the, the the second time I went to see it. I saw it with um, our buddy Steve Morgan, who's in Land of the Creeps all the time as well. He lives not far from me. And he was he, he put it a good way. He said, I was totally invested in that in the first half in the movie without the horror even showing up. The movie that was happening in front of me before there were any even vestiges of horror was fascinating and was enjoyable. And I think that's true. And I think that's what makes this movie great. That's what makes Titan great. So many of the movies we've mentioned tonight. Yeah. We have some on there that are just straight horror. They do what they're doing. They're doing it really well. A movie that can blend the genres and give you something else. Those are still horror movies. Horror gets there in this movie. It takes a little bit, but I had no problem waiting. It's like, you've given me a great salad. You give me a great soup. I, I know steaks coming. I don't need it right this minute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was amazing. I think it was great. Uh, really, for me, this and Titan are all on the same level. I, I think Titan maybe over time. It's it's so challenging. I, I think over time it may, may outside this. But Last Night in Soho, it's a great film. It has a lot going on. There's a lot to discuss, a lot to unpack. And yet it also is just a great sensory experience. It's a movie I can sit down and watch with my wife and other people who may not. I, Victor, you said it in our last episode. We did a deep dive review. You can kind of show this to people who maybe horror is not their thing and they're mm -hmm. they're potentially still going to love it. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah. And I, I mean, even though the, the right totally brings the horror in the last few scenes, um, I, I think that it's not so over the top where somebody who couldn't stand, yeah. uh, you know, graphically gory images would say, okay, I hate this film now. Um, like it's not, it, it kind of straddles the line, but it's definitely, um, you know, in the supernatural horror side. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, it's a fantastic soundtrack by, you know, a lot of period bands, 
But I noticed also that he put um, Susie and the Banshees in there in, in one of the modern day scenes. Yeah, which is awesome because I, I've always loved that band. And I th- I think it really holds up to like the kinks and Dave D and all that, uh, the who and all that it stuff does, that's yeah. in the in the movie. So it works. And, and I'm, I'm wondering how much does Pet Clark, how much is she making off? <laughs> downtown. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough to take cab downtown. <laughs> Clark. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's our main list. That, that was awesome. And I realized I did the same thing I did last year of the non-horror list where I screwed everybody by essentially flopping and moving what most people, you know, uh, last year, I think it was promising young woman and back around and I, I made promising young woman number two. So it screwed Victor and <laughs> Bill before the like a flip of the coin, which one's going first. But um, yeah, so now I guess we could talk a little bit very quickly. I know we've kind of gone a little bit long, but honestly, for five people and 10 movies, I think we did pretty well. Um, any honorable mentions? Greg, do you have uh, some honorable mentions? Maybe things uh, that you. The want only to mention? honorable mentions that I had that, and one of them I couldn't remember if it was 2020 or 2021, it doesn't matter, but that was Boys from uh, County Hell. I think is what. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. twenty twenty one. I believe. Yeah, yeah. it it was it was just one of those that I had heard some positive buzz, and once I got to see it, which wasn't soon after, I was like, you know, this this (laughs) really is really creative. This is really kind of cool. This is a fun watch, and I always dig foreign movies. That never stops me. But for some reason, Irish. They just have this uh, sense of humor that just always kind of has me going. <laughs> um, then there was uh, The Green Knight. I felt like A24 really, I mean, they always have solid years. And it was one that was more on the cusp. So I just kind of left that on the honorable mention. Uh, it's based off of that, um, the poem. Um, I can't, I should have wrote wrote it down. But, you know, The Green Knight. And it was really it's good. Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. Yep. Yes, that's it. And, um, you know, back. So, so, Greg, while we talk, I want you to look it up and then recite Oh, geez. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sing it. Sing it to the tune of Moonraker. Sing it. Arr. <laughs> Arr. Uh, and, then, and then I had uh, Night Books, which I thought was a fun one for the kids. Oh, yeah. um, I watched that with my daughter. I watched yeah, So much more just... vomit than you would expect in a children's film. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And and that was one of those where it's like, oh my gosh, they're doing it again, and it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, but and only my no. kids would be like, yeah, there's more Evil Dead here than we were hoping. <laughs> so oh, yeah, those gosh. those were a few of uh, the highly recommends. If you haven't seen them, they're they're definitely worth a viewing. Yeah. Uh, and one that I will say, uh, avoid at all costs, even if your curiosity piques you. It, this one was an X Files episode, and it's called The Stairs. It was a Fathom <laughs> event. I paid premium dollar to go see this movie, what? and then the turd unfolded on front of the screen. Uh, Can I find it on Tubi? Is it a Tubi? I film? don't know. It will be eventually for sure. Is it a sequel just... to the Room? <laughs> the stairs. No, it does. It, it, it felt like it. I mean, it's awful. It, what was it? Kind of the 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 people under the stairs, but just oh, the no. stairs. No, no, no. <laughs> 
but but just the it was, they didn't have enough money for alert, the people. It was just the stairs. But but <laughs> as a spoiler alert, uh, it has that leech man from the X Files. You guys, I, I'm not that oh, big yeah. of an X Files. Fluke, the fluke man. The fluke man. Yes, they they could have sued this movie for the fluke man. It's it's. I just try to find stills of the photos. Uh, Wait, Kathleen Quinlan's in this movie, but I no, know I'm, the oh, sad no. reality but is. Greg, now you're making me want to watch it. Oh no, it's so bad. It's so bad, though. I'm telling you, it's it's just it's just a movie that had. Uh, it probably looked good on paper, but it's just all over the place, and it's a hot mess. And I'm only mentioning it because it was. You know, when you're looking at your letterbox and you're looking at all the movies that were high on your list, it's always fun to look at the ones that are low on your list. And the stairs next to Sharks of the Corn are two of the most crappy abominations <laughs> from 2021. Uh, I can't even scrub my eyeballs of them. But yes, it did have Kathleen Quinlan and it did have John Schneider in it. Do you mean to tell me, Greg, yes. just to be clear. Bo, Bo Duke was in this movie. That the director Peter Drago Teeman Drago <laughs> IMDb has Drago. It's this yep. little name. You tell me he didn't turn out a winner. No, Bill, we're reviewing this on on uh, to be roulette. For I know. Sure. <laughs> I, it, if I, if you guys can find it for free, if I can find it for free, I will definitely forward it to your way, and you guys can then watch it. It's on Screenbox, or it looks like Prime Video. Uh, so. And you'll you'll know exactly you'll know exactly what I mean. It has a story, but it it falls apart. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan is in it for maybe a total of five minutes, as is John Scheider for maybe five minutes and put it this way is there uh, blood boobs or beasts there's 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 beasts as for everything else <laughs> no it, there's a little bit of blood but there's boredom that's the other b it's, it's, it's <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> um but yeah so you know i know we, i talked i talked more about the negative movie than the positives <laughs> but uh oh. the green knight is is a visual spectacle of delight yeah. um that's and not my other so that'll be coming yeah. back up I which think. i had which i had a feeling yeah. um would i put it underneath horror certainly could i take it off of horror most definitely yeah. but it's it's <laughs> it definitely is a is a great entry from a24 so i i felt like i rambled on way too much there so you guys go go for it victor how about you <laughs> honorable mentions oh yeah i mean i think um all all the movies i i spoke spoke up about that weren't on my list um are definitely honorable mentions to me but yeah blood red sky queen of black magic uh fear street 1978 fear street 1994 which was my least favorite of the three Fear Streets, but it had an awesome soundtrack from the 90s. It had like Nine Inch Nails yes. and uh, Radiohead, and it had a bunch of songs that I thought would be unaffordable for... Um, and every 30 movie. seconds it was playing one. Yeah, yeah, they really well, went for if, it. If they're paying for it, they're going to make yeah. use of it, right? Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, uh, Censor, Saint Maud, Wrong Turn... Jacob's wife. I thought those all were were pretty good. Like they they are definitely worth seeing. They just didn't quite make my top ten. 
<clears throat> okay, Amanda, any honorable mentions for you? I know you had a list of like 25 movies. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know how hard it was for me to... First, I knocked down my list of... I had 75 movies, knocked it down to 50, then to 20, and then to 10. Wow. But um, yes, I have a lot of honorable mentions, and I'll just rattle them off as quickly as I can here. Um, we need to do something. That's It's a single location horror film about the family that gets trapped in their yeah. bathroom during what may or may not be the apocalypse. That one was a fun... Pat Hughes. Yes, that one was a fun watch. Um, the Sound of Violence, which has one of the most insane endings that I probably <laughs> saw out of the entire year. Um, it, it was an interesting movie. I like that one a lot. Uh, Come True. I like that one. It was very um, trippy. I love the dream sequences that were in that one. Um, Meander, which is one I reviewed on the podcast back in September. I enjoyed that one a lot. Um I, I was shocked it wasn't on your top 10. I was, it, I'm it was so close. I had to like shuffle and move things around. And just when I thought I had my list finalized, here comes Nathan with like, hey, you need to check out this movie. I was like, okay, one more I have to throw into the rotation. <laughs> and then I have to move the list around again. And <laughs> But um, Caveat, that's another one that was really, really good. Really yeah. atmospheric. I enjoyed that one a lot. Um, Bloody Hell, that was a good uh, horror comedy. Um, Block Island Sound, speaking of what could be an X-File episode, that one definitely yes. could. I enjoyed that one a lot. Oh, yeah. That's a good that one. I good. think that was another one you recommended. Oh, that was a really good one. I enjoyed that one. Um, a Classic Horror Story, that's one. That's on Netflix, yep. and I enjoyed yep. that one. And do yourself a favor, if you haven't seen it and you watch it, do it with the subtitles on and the dubbing oh, off, sure. because the dubbing is just awful. In that movie, I, I had to stop halfway through and restart it without the dubbing because it was that bad. Mm. Um, no One Gets Out Alive, another Netflix movie. That one was very good. The creature design was great in that one. Uh, Werewolves Within, that was a fun horror comedy that I enjoyed a lot. Um, yeah, I liked it. Escape Room. Now, I was chatting with Nathan about this the other day. Escape Room Tournament of Champions, the extended cut. I enjoyed that one a lot better than the theatrical. Believe it or not, when they say extended cut, usually you think, oh, they're going to give me a couple of extra minutes. No, you get an entirely different movie. This was <laughs> so awesome. You get an entirely different movie, the same escape rooms, but they changed like the ending and they added in a whole new character. And you have to, um, you learn about the uh, game master and his daughter and it has the girl from orphan in it. I really enjoyed that one a lot. So if you, that is, you get a lot of bang for your buck if you buy that. Because you Scott's escape room now. Yes. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure because you can pick like which <laughs> ending do you want to watch. And, but that one was really good. Um, Spencer. Now this is one where it's on the cusp. Is it horror? Is it not horror? It's more of a Gothic psychological horror. I saw this thinking that it was going to be a biopic about Princess Diana. It's not. It's all fictitious. It's about, you know, a Christmas weekend that they spend. It's her last weekend, I guess, before she decided to divorce Prince Charles. Um, this one was something. I really enjoyed this one a lot. It's very dark, very ominous, um, gothic. I absolutely loved it. If you like hammer horror, 
If you like um, psychological horror, I think, you know, this is definitely one to check out. And the last one I just want to mention was another um, horror comedy that came up on Land of the Creeps not too long ago. Um, it's about the killer pants. Uh, slacks? Slacks. The killer oh, pants. Slacks. That like um, Bollywood music. <laughs> that one was a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, those are all of my honorable mentions. Nice. Good one. Escape Room <laughs> Tournament of Champions is, I think, my children's. They're going to call it the Land of the Creeps. I think it was their favorite horror movie of the year. So now uh, <laughs> I, I had a good nap during it, but I'm now interested to see this this uh, like extended cut because it sounds like there's an actual movie in there now. Yeah, I'm very curious because I have basically finished all my watchings, and I was like, I never got to this one. So I watched the theater cut, and I was kind of like, because eh. I talked to Greg Morgan about it, and he was like, Bill, it's not going to make your top 10, so you can push it off to the side. <laughs> so I watched it, and I'm like, ah, okay, five. I, I, I think I generously gave it a six out of 10, but I think I was more generous. But what I didn't get with that uh, version is you, you didn't really get much of the backstory yeah. between the dad and the daughter. Why was she so ticked off with it? Like, you kind of really didn't get much of that. I guess the extended version is going to give you all that. Yeah, the, the extended version is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I check that out then. Um, Bill, how about you? Honorable mentions. I only mentioned um, five that didn't make it, uh, and then another one I just wanted to bring up. Uh, my, the the one that just missed the list uh, that Amanda mentioned, Werewolves Within, yeah, kind of a a fun film. You know, it's not gonna. You know, there's nothing groundbreaking with it, but it's kind of like a, almost like an Agatha Christie whodunit. Uh, ten little Indians kind of deal. Um, I I actually enjoyed the Forever Purge. Uh, in in the Purge series, like the the first one started out kind of as the gold standard, and then they kind of declined after that. Especially the the I think it was the third one that got into politics, and it, it was crappy. But this one I didn't mind. Uh, the the Forever Purge, so it kind of straddles that line. Is it horror? It's you know whatever survival. Uh, one I didn't mind that much that was actually better than I anticipated was Seance, uh, yeah. at, at the girls' school. I didn't mind that one. Uh, one I'm surprised you didn't bring up, Amanda. Benny Loves You. <laughs> Benny Loves You is a, it's yeah. an interesting film if you haven't seen. That's a fun one. <laughs> uh, it, it's a fun one. Benny Loves You. I'm going to annoy the hell out of you. <laughs> If if you know if you if you were ever of a certain age where the Elmo doll kind of came up, you know this one will be just for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was uh, one a Canadian film that I watched called "Don't Say Its Name." That's a take on the Windigo. Uh, that I thought for its lower budget, I thought did a fairly decent job. Um, Spiral, Spiral gets a lot of crap. You know, Chris Rock is a little over the top, I know, but it's not bad. It's not going to be Saw, you know, one or two, but it was okay. And the last one I wanted to bring up, and Nathan and I had talked about it earlier in the year, is The Retreat. Yeah. About a lesbian couple that goes to a pre, what do they call it, a pre-wedding retreat kind of deal to go up to a cabin, and and she rebuffs someone who comes on to her at a uh, convenience store picking up sundry items 
and it becomes a lot more than that and it becomes a fight for survival and it and it has to deal with how people handle people who are not their sexuality and that and it it, it shocks you that there's that element still out there but we know that it is so if you haven't seen the retreat I don't know if Victor or Greg or uh, Amanda, if you've seen it, I I'd highly recommend checking it out. I I have not seen it, but it that description really reminds me of another movie. Yeah, that's the one with the women, the girls at the yeah at the lake house. Yes, and one of them just isn't what she seems. Uh, no, that th- is, th- this one th- that. Um, yeah, what's that one called, uh, Nathan? We've talked about it, it before. It's like "What Doesn't Kill You" or something like that. Isn't that sort of the title of something like that? Or, um... but but this one and this one, they're both being targeted, yeah, by a certain group, and they okay. have to survive. Like, it's not exactly. I mean, it's not an amazing film, but it's an interesting film. Cool the retreat. No, I gotta check it out. I haven't I haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, Nathan, do you have anything that kind of just you know just barely missed or nipped? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the movies, honestly, everyone had such strong lists. Most of the movies that were mentioned were right on there. The honorable men would have been on honorable mentions, uh, so I won't belabor those. I will, I will second that Werewolves Within was a lot of fun. It very much was like Clue. I appreciated that in that film, uh, from one perspective, you say, oh, it's kind of maybe predictable enough I could figure out who the uh, culprit is. But in another way, I thought that movie did a really good job of making it uh, logistically, like if you wanted to play a game of Clue with your kids and watch this movie, the clues are actually there. You know, it always bo- irks me when a movie reveals the killer and it's just so nonsensical or so could have been anybody that uh, clues don't matter. You know, here I think they do a pretty logistical job of saying, "Yeah, you know, it might be a little too soft pedaled." You know, this could be the 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 video game set to to uh, easy as opposed to medium or hard, but. I think that it's cool that you could do this and actually follow what's going on and, and say, okay, you know what? I have a, I have a logistical guess that this is who's, who's doing it. And I like that that opens with a, with a Mr. Rogers quote and, <laughs> and is a movie that actually makes a case that being nice may make a difference. I, we don't see enough of that, honestly, anymore. Mm. Um, I really liked, uh, it was a very downbeat sort of movie, but my heart can't beat until you tell it to. Yes, um, yes, yes. It, it's yes. a bit of a rough watch, uh, emotionally speaking, but I really liked it. A different take sort of on a vampire story. I enjoyed it. It, 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 it kind of gets into that. For me, it kind of clued into that one, The Hamiltons. Yeah, this is a, this is much more drama-based. And, and in fact, because it kind of eschews the normal horror elements, it feels so real in the way that uh, families coming together to try to help one another and... Uh, when there's a family member struggling and how that can ripple through the family. And uh, it, it, it makes it almost uncomfortable to watch because it takes its metaphor and ties it so uh, directly into in, into what real families deal with. You know, when you have someone who's struggling with any kind of, uh, of long-standing issue that sort of isn't going to go away. We can't just follow this set of things. The family, if we're going to be involved, we're going to be there for you. It's going to take something out of all of us. I really liked uh, the power by a uh, Corinna Faith that involved a a nurse in in this uh, in London infirmary in the seventies when uh, Britain is doing these electrical blackouts to kind of conserve energy. So they uh, you know it, it's going to be pitch black from this point of the 
work shift until this point and a very creepy ghost story i thought did a uh maybe the mystery itself didn't completely pay off but the sequences in the dark are pretty creepy and pretty haunting i thought i really liked it's an, that. it was a nice period piece yeah yeah it, it, it enjoyed yeah. it for that um a movie that's a uh i think maybe didn't have a lot of play in 2021 it was out there but uh may get a little bit more is a very um very strange movie called sleep a german film by michael venus and it deals with a woman who uh again you've got the familial uh issues of there's this woman uh who's having intense nightmares and she can't tell what's waking and sleep uh sleeping it's starting to uh just inflict her to the point that she goes to this sort of clinic clinic for help and ends up in a worse situation than she was and this movie's not so much about her, but her daughter who wants to find out why this is happening, what has happened to her mother, and how can she help. And she ends up delving into this mystery that deals with sins of the past, of course, and, and with Germany's own uh, dark history. And uh, it's really, I really liked it a lot. It has a very distinctly David Lynch sort of feel to it. Uh, you definitely have to sort of appreciate the kind of trippy uh dreamlike films this movie does deal with dreams and i'm it's always interesting what you get when a director decides to go that direction because sometimes people can get very fanciful and some people can really capture what it's like to sort of not understand what the line is between waking behaviors and sleeping behaviors and things like that and so sleep is a movie i would keep your eyes out for particularly if you are a fan of that kind of lucid dreaming david lynch style feel uh the movie mi- mm-hmm. does get concrete it does answer things in fact for me it might get too concrete at a certain point it sort of leaves the dreaminess behind as sort of you know uh it does satisfy that question of wait what's going on here almost too concretely to the point where i thought oh they they wrapped it all up uh but i think that for some people i think they'll really like that i it was just at the cusp of making this list so uh sleep for me was one uh there are others the feast is a crazy welsh movie that's a very much a slow burn but when it when it finally enters its last act it goes nuts uh it is a it's bloody it's dark it's a full car it's an eco horror uh lee haven jones is the director it's um absolutely worth seeing um don't eat before it you probably won't eat after it. Don't eat during it. Particularly the last. This is not a dinner party movie. It is. It's a movie about a dinner party, but don't put it on during a dinner party. Um, Victor, Victor, you'll like the film, but you might have to uh, give our buddy Hugh Lloyd a call. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> right. but it's uh, it's worth seeing. But it does it does go there. So if you're if you're uncertain about some of the more strong content, it definitely it definitely has that. So that'd be my recommendation. Uh, anything else anybody had or wanted to mention? Uh, a couple of, I've forgotten. Uh, Till Death, I thought wasn't a bad film. Uh, uh, one I saw the other day, I hadn't seen uh, the, the the Gin Gin. Yeah, yeah, the Gin uh, isn't bad. Uh, and one that I know that Pastor Matt, who uh, probably listening, of course, uh, the Boy Behind the Door. Oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah, good. That was good. I, I, I thought it wasn't a, a terrible film either. The Devil Below. No, that one was horrible. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I think we are pretty much sapped up our 2021. Yeah, we have. Now, I will. I do want to take a quick moment. We've 
kind of run long already, but I want to take a quick moment to read a couple of the com of just uh, not my whole list, but comments. We I put something out there today to ask people to mention some of their favorites uh, from the listeners lists, and uh, we do have a couple. I just wanted to go through those very quickly. Uh, Jason Widgington, who we had on. Uh, talking the Fantasia films uh, from Fantasia Festival, uh, dropped a few here, and actually they they were from his coverage then. I'll put the link in the show notes to that episode. Uh, he said, well, I haven't comp- compiled a list of my own. The two that really stuck with me were The Sadness, which he says probably going to be considered a 2022 film. I don't think it's had an actual release here. For its all-out gore and depravity, and Coming Home in the Dark, a true gut punch of a film about past non-decisions or decisions that haunt us with unbelievable tension and outstanding performances. Yeah. Uh, coming home in the dark, coming home in the dark is a really, uh, it's a good film. It's got great performances. It, it does build tension well, but it is a bit of a gut punch. It is a very grim, uh, it's a very intense film. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it's on Netflix now. I would say it is not necessarily for the, the faint of heart. Um, That's a good one. It's it a good is. One. Tommy Wood from uh, both Real Talk and from our X-Files podcast uh, says, my favorite horror films included Malignant, Last Night in Soho, and The Night House, uh, which are obviously all awesome and were definitely on our list tonight. Matt Rawlings does pop up and he said that he and Jackson are recording their list soon. Eners had dropped a list. His number one is Malignant. His two was Last Night in Soho. Three was Halloween Kills. Four, A Quiet Place 2. Five, Don't Breathe 2. I think it's the only one that wasn't mentioned tonight. Six, Jacob's Wife. Seven, Fear Street 1666. Eight, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Nine, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And ten, There's Someone Inside Your House. Uh, you know, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City is Welcome to Raccoon City is a movie I just caught up with. Uh, again, Amanda pumped up and said, "You know what? This this is pretty decent. It's not too bad." And uh, yeah, I I actually quite liked it. It was a fun. In a lot of ways, it felt much closer to the video games than the uh, the previous series did. Uh, Karen Wagner, also from our X Files uh, podcast, it was just recently on for the Christmas episode. Uh, she's still she's still watching movies. She says, but she watched Malignant, know nothing about it. And loved it. Uh, she mentioned that Bill, you recommended Vicious Fun to her, and she can't see her list without that movie. She also mentioned Blood Red Sky, and uh, then Greg Vizelli mentioned he, he had five. His number five was Slacks. His four was a Fear Street trilogy. Three was Halloween Kills. Two was Candyman. Number one, Psycho Goreman. So uh, there's some Psycho Goreman love, Greg. Wow, nice! <laughs> I was going to say, and and Greg has a new podcast out. If he does, he does. I will put the link there uh, for him as well. Yeah, Shannon right. Barnes. Oh, go ahead, Victor. No, I'm just, I'm looking forward to listening to it. Yeah, Shannon Barnes. He, he, I was going to. Oh, sorry, sorry, Shannon. I'm just going to say he links horror movies with heavy metal, so it's a great combination. <laughs> Perf. Yes, Shannon Barnes popped up. She said, "Titanium Power, uh, the Power, and Saint Maud." Loved all of those. Those are those are great. And then she also says, "Hi, Bill." <laughs> and, oh, <great>. <laughs> Hi, Shannon. Hi. <laughs> and and Shannon's going to be on the the podcast uh, this year as well. Wesley Jones from Real Talk pops up, and he said, "Saint Maud and a Quiet Place too." And I think there were a few more comments. I know that uh, 
Um, I think all the members of the X Files podcast Chuck checked in because I saw there was a there was a <laughs> message from um, from Dave Roy who popped up and mentioned that he hadn't seen a lot of movies, but you know, and one of the problems is when I post these things, I'm posting them in a couple different places. I have to jump from on this side of the podcast to, to this side, so I'm trying to uh, pull those pull them all up here. But uh, yeah, I think overall this year was really good. One of the issues I had is you had a certain point where there were a lot of really good movies and so many of them were just about on the same level. So I was doing the same thing. A lot of you were doing like shuffle this. Does it go here? Does it go there? At any point in time, probably my 10 through six could have been, you know, just about uh, interchanged. Um when I was doing my list, I, I said to Nathan and uh, Greg last night, uh, Greg Morgan, I said, I had 24 films listed as three and a half stars yeah. on Letterboxd. So you're trying to decipher all these films that are all kind of in a big glob and trying to see, basically my criteria was, did they stick out? Yeah. Um, yep. We had Trey Whetstone pop up too. He said his top three of the year were Last Night in Soho, A Quiet Place 2, and The Medium. And uh, again, all great. I mentioned to him, yeah, I think they're going to make some appearance on the list. And I was right. All three of those movies showed up. Uh, the medium, I, I think that's one that, again, it's kind of uh, just popped up recently. And I think people are seeing it for the first time. And I, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see as more people see it because I think there's a lot of the movie that it kind of, I don't know if you, what you guys think I didn't mention earlier. One of the movies that really reminds me of is, uh, Lake Mungo, which is one of my favorite sort of mockumentary Love it. found footage kind of movies. But yeah, I, I love that movie. I, I, that it's really, um, it goes deep. It goes deeper than you think it does yes. <laughs> at first. Uh, it's really worth seeing. And I think it's, it's on one of the free streaming services now. So yeah, shutter, I believe, if you haven't seen it, I think, um, yeah, check it out. Yes, let's see. So, oh, and I did find uh, Dave's comment here. So Dave says, I didn't see too many new releases this year, but I watched Godzilla vs. Kong and Halloween Kills both twice, so I should recommend those. And I also liked Bingo Hell and Psycho Gorman. And um, Bingo Hell. Bingo Hell was an interesting <laughs> film. Yes. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. It did, you know, I, I not sure horror, size six or fantasy. I saw, I I had a great time with it as a as a Godzilla fan and a Kong fan. It does have a great script. It does not, but those monster scenes were awesome. My kids loved it. We had a lot of fun watching it. We saw it uh, at the theater, and we also uh, watched it a few times with HBO Max. And now we have the uh, you know the the 4K. So we had uh, it was a lot of fun for me, which is about what I expected from that film. Same can be said for Halloween Kills. And Psycho Gorman, it is, sometimes it's nice just to sort of uh, have fun in a horror movie as opposed to uh, <laughs> have an existential crisis. <laughs> but that that movie is funny because like I had put it off and put it off and put it off just because I needed the time to invest to watch it. And I finally watched it over the holidays. And it was fun. It was fine. And then I, I was looking at up stuff today and I see Asylum has a film called Ape versus Monster. <laughs> I, I got to find that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think I think that's it. Um, yeah, coming in at a cool. Uh, what are we What are we looking at here? Three, four hours. Uh, I don't. I don't know how much of the uh, the hums and pauses you can edit out. Not a, know, not an hour's worth. 
Um, <laughs> so wrapping this up, what we'll do, we'll go around the horn, let everybody, uh, you know, say their final pieces, uh, let everybody know where they can find you. Um, I think, uh, Victor, is this a good time? Can we announce our collaboration? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go into too much detail right now. We'll mention this and it's coming up, uh, very soon to become up next month or so. We, uh, we had so much good feedback from the Phantom Galaxy episode we did of the top uh, 10 horror novels uh, that we are starting a books-related, books, short stories, fiction-related podcast. Victor's, uh, Victor and I will be uh, co-hosting it, and it will be part of the Phantom Galaxy. Again, one more Russian nesting doll, Bill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start writing yeah, these things yeah, down. Yeah. Bill was like, another spinoff? I was like, yes. Yeah, uh, this is the Shadows <laughs> in the Library. And uh, it came about partially uh, from that discussion about the books. And previous episode, we did Victor talking about short stories. But I think there's a great opportunity to uh, highlight short fiction, to highlight novels. Uh, and we recorded a lot of narrated fiction. It's one of the things I love doing with the show. We've had three episodes previously, but there's so much editing and audio work that goes into it uh, that trying to put together these shows of four or five short stories is kind of daunting for me with the schedule. So what we're going to do, we have stories that were lined up for a uh, an October episode uh, with uh, Shadows in the Library. We're going to have an episode that's going to have different segments where we're, uh, we're going to review books. We're going to recommend books. We'll do top fives and things like that. We will, we're going to try to do uh, regularly pick a short story that's out there that people can actually access and, and read. But in addition to that stories that are in the public domain, uh, and we have a couple of those recorded already, we are going to feature in the back half of the episode, narrated fiction read by lots of different people. Bill's got some, sorry, recorded Victor's done some Karen Wagner has recorded some for us. And we're going to feature those at the back half, talk a little bit about them and then play them. So uh, anyone who's into horror fiction, uh, we have the shadows in the library. It's going to be a regular uh, Phantom Galaxy episode that will just like Illustrated Fan and uh, Strange Frequencies will be on a revolving door and Victor will be here. Victor, official co-host now. Awesome. Yeah, he, Can't he, wait. He, uh, he, you now need the jacket. The jacket. Well, you don't have jackets <laughs> yet. <laughs> My wife made me a one or two prototype t-shirts uh, or shirts for Christmas, but we don't have a jacket yet. Um, Victor, is there anything you wanted to, to add or, or drop in there? We're still kind of bringing it together, but no, yeah, I don't have any new news. Um, just that I've submitted a couple of pieces of short fiction to a couple of anthologies that are out there. But when they are accepted, uh, I will announce on a future episode. Very cool. And then we have all of Victor's regular stuff in the show notes where you can find uh, the Sound of Fear and Inside the Sound of Fear, the podcast uh, companion to the book. Uh, that's very cool and has both the uh, the audio versions of those stories and sort of dive into what was going on in Victor's brain <laughs> when he wrote them. Um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Very, very cool. So, Amanda, how about you? Any uh, Anything that you want to promote or mention? Well, I'm finally on Letterboxd now. It took me long enough. <laughs> you can find me on there. Um, I'm Mandy77. You can see my full list of all the movies that I recommend for 2021 and it's not just horror. I have um, everything on there. 
And I'm also on Twitter now. I'm old, so I'm still trying to figure it out. So bear with me. I'm Mandyville Horror on Twitter. So if you want to catch up with me there, I'm also on Facebook. Cool. And I will put those things in the in the show notes as well. Uh, and then Greg, Mr. Bench, where can <laughs> they where can they find you? If oh, I'm just where can where where can't I find don't know you? I don't know where they can't me can't find me Bill I'm everywhere man so uh, and the, the problem is I don't even know what my name is on half the things so it's just, <laughs> <laughs> if you find me in one place I'll talk to you and then you'll find me in other places and I'm on Letterbox but I have no idea what my name is and Twitter it's QUA419 and then Greg Bench on uh on F- facebook and i'm always lurking around the land of the creeps and phantom galaxy and i was gonna say do you have your call in for the <laughs> best of the year I, I don't know bill i don't know but i guess i can tease it since there was a you, you, you know i can't yell at my radio and have it transmit to the show but as everybody knows, if they heard the episode, our young Padawan here, Bill, called me out and said, hey, you need to do some Dino. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I forgot about that. <laughs> I've been practicing some Dean Martin songs, and I have to call that in. So, Ain't that a kick in the head? Yeah. There that's what go. you get for randomly responding to things I Bill know. just said off the cuff. <laughs> I know you don't. You know you don't actually listen to me. I That's mean, how I've ended up on, watching Bill. a couple of movies. Of course I listen, I, course I listen to you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, you know you're like my students in one ear at the other. Then, then Bill's shocked when his his words have consequences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, somebody listened to me. Finally, look all this time. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm everywhere. So I, I imagine you have my connections and. I'm always willing to talk about any movie with anyone and sing a sing a James Bond song here and there and, and maybe a little Dino and a little Frankie Sinatra or Live and Let Die. Da-na-na. I might just yeah, submit da-na-na. this entire podcast to the, the Land of the Creeps. Here's here's my list. Here's Greg's <laughs> <laughs> list. No, for, for Land of the Creeps, mine is a completely different list. Yeah, we'll leave yours out. I'll edit, I... edit yours out. Just. <laughs> Well, that was a different list. Perfect. And then you'll have it all in one place. Uh, I've, There's that bloody three-hour phone I'm call. Kidding, yeah. Greg, I would never do that. Morgan. <laughs> um, yeah. So this, uh, Bill, anything you want to, to, to mention? Uh, well, nothing Nothing that we don't normally talk about on this show. I just wanted to say that uh, we're in the midst of coming up with a really cool idea for Strange Frequencies yes. tying in with Valentine's Day. And we have a guest coming on to do that who's been on before who we had a lot of fun with. And uh, uh, Nathan, I'm sure you read the message I sent you. Yes, so and I that's in the works. Awesome. And that's going to be awesome. And otherwise, I'm going to be recording in three, four days the Land of the Creeps top 10. And otherwise, whenever Nathan has his beck and call, Bill, <laughs> it's tonight at six. Okay, I'm there. Yeah, we're, uh, we've got the, 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 the uh, VOD roulette coming back. I've, had this, I've added the stairs to the list. Greg, <laughs> excellent. And for anybody, anybody who's actually pays attention to what I say, I have a folder on my uh, a bookmark. So just anytime I come across some wacko movie, I go, okay, that goes into the VOD yeah, pile. Yeah, for sure. So, so, so I just, <laughs> who the hell knows what I'm going to come up with? Well, and as always, you can find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Galaxy. Uh, 
we're at the uh, I mean, the po- process of making sure we're on all the podcatchers. Turns out there's one or two that we weren't. So I'm trying to fix that with Stitcher and things like that on Spotify. Uh, in addition, uh, if you want to head over to Apple Podcasts and just leave us a review, again, preferably a five-star review, helps get uh, get us out there and increase the listening audience. So uh, that's always appreciated if you enjoy what we're doing. Oh, and, and Nathan, I just checked right now. Our Facebook group is up to 323 people. Oh, awesome. And yeah, head over to the Facebook group. We've been doing things there. In fact, the list I put out today, I will... Uh, I, when I put something up about recording this episode and asked everyone to submit, I said, anyone who submits, we will be giving out a uh, uh, one of the digital codes for the screen, the original, the 1996 screen movie, the uh, Blu-ray. So not the, the 4K uh, digital code for that. So I will give that away uh, on the on the podcast soon uh, as a response to anyone who submitted. We'll pick a name out of a hat for that. And uh, we have another episode of The Illustrated Fan coming up. Uh, we'll be recording soon with... Uh, Dave Becker and I, we're going to, we're going to do our, uh, uh, we didn't, I don't think we saw enough animated films in 2021 to do a list, but we are going to, we're going to do a list of our favorite Disney animated films. Disney's one of those big looming giants that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. So that'd be fun to, to, to do handle it that way. And we are going to have a review on that episode of the, uh, the animated film, stop motion animated film that just dropped on Netflix called the house that, uh, I'm mm-hmm. very much looking forward to discussing. And uh, that, I think, is it. Does anyone else have anything else before we close this out? Well, the only other thing I was going to say is we do have one coming up, which we have to arrange yes. date and time of our top 10 non-horror Thank films. you. Yes, we have top 10 non-horror films coming up. Uh, the, the, the Everything else, the other list. Uh, and right now we have Victor coming back for that. And Trey Whetstone from the Screaming Through the Ages podcast will be joining us for that as well. So, uh Stay tuned for that. And otherwise, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Victor. It's always so much fun talking horror with you guys. I, it was a blast. I really loved uh, recording the episode. This is thanks, guys, for coming up. You guys were awesome. Well, thank you for having oh, yeah. me. Yeah, thank you guys too. Yeah. Yeah, and that is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. Thanks and take care. Have a great night. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy.